What's up, Jeff? Trey, how you doing? I'm good. It's been a busy Monday so far. Busy in part because the wife and I are going to be getting out of town for a couple of days tomorrow. We're heading to Vegas for a whirlwind trip to celebrate her brother's 39th birthday, which is not a benchmark birthday necessarily, but he was looking to for folks to get together in Vegas for a quick birthday celebration, which we're apparently going to be doing in the midst of Vegas getting ready for Formula One this weekend in the city. I think they're actually racing on the strip. So yeah. I have no idea what we're about to fly into tomorrow. Yeah, that uh, I'm not a huge Formula One fan, but I'm a huge Las Vegas fan. So I'm excited oh, yeah. to uh, excited to see like, I mean, what, what that looks like. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll watch. But where, where are you guys staying? Like, what's your Vegas? I know everyone has strong opinions on Vegas and the way they do it. How does, how does the Elling squad do Vegas? Okay. I'm glad you're a big, big Vegas guy because I'm not a big Vegas guy. I haven't been there in maybe 15 to 20 years. And the last time I was there, I want to say it was the, it was before the Donovan McNabb Super Bowl that the Eagles lost. Oh, I was man. there Super Bowl, Super Bowl weekend. And we ended up leaving during the game to catch our flight to go back. I have no idea why we scheduled things like that, but that's how we scheduled them. But I'm not a big a big Vegas guy for one main reason. I'm a terrible game gambler. Win or lose, I'm super impatient. And so I'm trying to craft this Vegas trip over the next couple of days in a way where I'm not going to be in the casino day and night. I'm going to try and find some other things to enjoy about the city but to your original question, we're going to be staying in Paris, so we will be on the Strip. Nice. How do you normally like to do Vegas? Well, so it's been probably two years, but we would go. I mean, we had kind of like a guys' trip with some of my college buddies that we would do either wild card or divisional round weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I'd been hoping for a long time that you know, usually we do wild card weekend. I was hoping that at some point Texas would ruin that for me, and that I'd have to like actually cover Texas in a meaningful playoff game or. New Year's six game or something like that. But we would usually get like, like a, like a suite, like a bunch of guys, like we're not like high rollers or anything, but we'd buck up for like the suite and then just do the classic, like, I mean, this was like mid twenties too, you know, classic, like five, six, seven guys just crashing on the floor in the suite. One bro packs an air mattress cause he flew Southwest and two bags fly free or whatever. I always bring my golf clubs. So I'll go, I'll go play golf somewhere around the strip or whatever. Um, but basically it's just us like getting a spot at, at the sports book early and then posting up for those games. And that's always a fun time of year too, because as much as everyone's there for the NFL games, for the playoff games, you have like college basketball, NBA, you have games like that, you know, beginning, it's beginning a conference play for college basketball. So that's mm-hmm. usually how we do it. And then mainly just because of how much it costs. Like we weren't big partiers or clubbers or anything like that. I mean, we did that a couple of times, like the after hours at Dre and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I would say mainly just posting up the sports book. The last time we went actually was when they had just opened stadium swim at Circa. I've heard and about stadium swim three that was now from all three people I've gotten advice from it, it. It seems inevitable that I'll be there at some point. That place was absolutely spectacular. So what we did was, being the cheap asses that we are wanting to have fun and, you know, ball out a little bit. We called about the cabanas. We're like, mm-hmm. well, we got to get a cabana if we're going to do it, you know, and they put like a $1,500 minimum on it or, or more usually on a Saturday or a Sunday. Well, they, when they added the Monday wildcard game, 
we were like, oh, that'd be perfect. So we we roll up there Monday at like 11 a.m., get a cabana for half the price, watch a bunch of college basketball. And they actually have like kiosks down at the end by like where there's also a bar and all that stuff. And you can just go place your bets on your own um, and then like take your tickets the back. And, what's that? From the swimming pool? I mean, like, yeah, from the same area. Like you wow. get like, yeah, you can literally get out of the pool, grab your wallet or whatever and walk down to the kiosk at the same in the same area put cash in get your tickets um and the pools are massive like there's cabanas all around it there's different types of pools um and then there's just like 800 games on outside Hmm. it's it's one of the one of the cooler experiences definitely that first time it was like way eye-opening because usually before we were just those clowns that were like sitting around like smoking cigars like thinking we're like hot shit in the in the sports book or whatever. And then we went over there. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a little bit cooler than just sitting with my buddies for eight hours inside watching games. So my only issue with going to this, what is it called? Stadium swim. Stadium swim. Going to stadium swim, like on Wednesday, let's say, is that there's not really any games to bet on on Wednesday during the day. And I don't necessarily want to be in the swimming pool at night. And even if I were there at night, like I don't care about NBA enough to waste money betting on NBA games, just not there at the right time. Like if we were there on a weekend and it could be like a college football Saturday or an NFL Sunday or something, I feel like I would be willing to burn through a a good chunk of the day at stadium swim. Yeah, that's true. You're also Trey, you just showed that, your, your lack of degeneracy, which is a good thing for you, I guess. Because you're like, there's nothing to bet on on Wednesday. I'm over here like, whoa. whoa. But Wednesday day, though. Settle what, down. What is, what is there to bet on Wednesday day? I guess in the middle of the day, I don't know. Yeah, but, you know, remember all the, like, a East Coast 7 o'clock tip, Nets, Knicks, or whatever. 4 o'clock, yeah. Yeah, it's 4 true. o'clock over there. Um, so, I don't know. That's what... Uh, that's, that's that's what I would say. Oh yeah, somebody said. Oh yeah, Wednesday night action, but again, night night game. So if you're not going to be there at night, then I'm not betting on the fucking oh. Mac, you degens. I know Trey. nothing about those teams. By the way, I gotta. I don't. I don't usually do this, Trey. But <laughs> did you did you by chance check the standings in the uh, Austin Media Picks League this week? I checked before last week's show, and I meant to bring it up and completely forgot. You are dominating right now, sir. I went eight zero this week. You went eight and zero. Also, on top of already leading the league, congratulations to you! Awesome job. But you guess what? Really, you are really good at picking games. I understand uh, why you and your your cousin may spend actual money betting on games during the week because your record is well over five hundred each and every year. Yeah, and I've been I've been betting on like I actually love the 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 roger it is the more it just gets my like degenerate blood going. Oh, is that right? Yeah, like I I was. I mean, I, I bet every like PGA Tour fall schedule. I'm betting every golf tournament, um, the Maction, all about the Maction on Wednesday nights. But yeah, I just I I had to throw that out there and just brag for a minute because I do this every year and then I get a little bit of a lead and I like I'm I'm kind of like the Longhorns, like I can't play with a lead, hmm. and then I just and then I just fall off and then some other clown comes up and overtakes me and I finish like seventh and win no money. Meanwhile, I'm chugging along going four and four, five and three, or three and five every single week. This weekend, hey, you- I thought I, I thought I had picked a bunch of good games because I did pick right in uh, the bet that I have with BK, the season-long bet I have with BK. Wait, which is what? 
which is uh, we just pick six games every week and bet okay. on whoever has the better record at the end of the year. The loser has to do something embarrassing. And so I think I'm up four games now on BK because I gained three on him this weekend. And so if he loses at the end of the year, he's going to have to go and decked out in full UT gear to next year's Texas OU and sit in the Oklahoma section and just be a diehard rabid fan rooting for the Longhorns to win that game. That's a that's a really good like season long bet to do. It so my my fiance is in a women only fantasy football league. Okay. And when she told me they didn't put any money in it, I was like, what is this? I'm not gonna help you set this lineup or whatever. But apparently the only punishment is last place has to go in like a has to go do karaoke or comedy, one of the two, on open mic night. Um somewhere in Austin and they have to wear like a costume of like first place's choice or something mm. like that. I'm like, you know what? That's a, like for a group of people that aren't into like putting, you know, a hundred, two hundred dollars on a fantasy football league for the season. Like it's a pretty good, pretty good bet. See, I wanted to do the stand up thing with BK because we had that agreement in place for our last year's bet, which we ended up tying on. And so we called it a wash rather than both going and doing stand up. But he refused to do it this year. Like, BK's not afraid of anything. Apparently, the one thing he's afraid of, though, is getting up on stage and trying to make people laugh for five minutes. I was going to say, I feel like he would crush open mic. I think that he would, too. And that was my point. And I, I'm being completely honest, tried to argue the both of us going and doing five minutes after we uh, after things turned into a tie last year. But he is that opposed to it, that he would rather get his ass kicked in the OU section of Texas OU next year because he's being belligerent wearing all Texas gear. I was going to say, that's kind of crazy to think that he would rather put himself out there for four hours to just get mauled by OU fans as opposed to just like get no laughs for five minutes at open mic. Now, uh, I mean, which, which by the way, for the record, that's the worst case scenario. I think he would get some laughs at open mic night. Yeah. Yeah, he's just he's just gonna have people throwing stuff at him. Yeah, the, uh, the <laughs> section of the game. He's not gonna. People will be laughing at him, not with him. Unlike at an open mic, where I think he could get some people laughing with him. But you've now, you've inter- you've obviously interviewed enough comedians in your day, and I don't know. Maybe you've done open mic, but I feel like the pressure. It's just maybe different people that are just naturally funny and witty, improv type people, like in the moment you know, maybe that's different than like to a lot of people are way different than feeling the pressure of, Hey, I'm standing up at a mic and now it's like, everyone's quiet and I got to make everybody laugh. Like maybe that pressures, I've never even thought about doing it. So, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, that does sound pretty daunting. The best comedians are scripted, but make it sound off the cuff, but to go up there Now, there are exceptions. You can do crowd work, but even crowd work requires a lot of experience. There are some people who are just that quick who can do crowd work naturally. You mean like say say something to the crowd and then make like a witty like joke about them or something? Yeah, or like asking, are you married? How long have y'all been together? What do each of you do? Stuff like that where you're asking questions to the crowd or sometimes the crowd tries to heckle you and you put them in their place by essentially shit talking them back to where either they shut up or they'll end up getting kicked out if they're uh, that big a big mouth and won't be quiet even when they're asked to be quiet. But when comedians are doing their sets, 
those are usually written out and memorized and rehearsed. And so what a comedian is doing leading up to the taping of a special, if they're big enough to get to tape specials, or they've been at it long enough to get to tape specials, is they're, they're trying to make sure that they're getting every aspect of that routine correct. If they need to change a word or a phrase or put something in a different part or move jokes around the overall cadence of things, that is actually pretty scripted. So you you uh, you asked if I ever did stand-up before. I did stand-up for a little bit in Chicago, drink up between radio gigs, but then I got, uh, I got hired at WGN Radio, so I just completely stopped doing stand-up. I really enjoyed it, and I also went up very prepared the first time and every all five to seven times that I did it afterwards. And I typically got laughs as a result because I, I have a pretty good feel for what is funny and how to say it in a funny manner. And if I'm given the time to really write out what I want to say and set the joke up and get the punchline and have context between one joke to another, uh, between one joke and another, then, uh, then I had some successes there. But I also did some stand-up that were was in an empty room where the only people watching were the three or four other stand-ups at an open mic. And you tell your joke and it's like out of a freaking sitcom or something where you just hear a cough in the back of the room. <laughs> like a laugh track. <laughs> Not even a laugh. Like at one point I said something and it was like pretty offensive. And one of the comics is like, damn. And I'm just like, all right, well, there's nobody sitting in this crowd to laugh right now. So I guess that's the, the closest thing that I get to a laugh is another comedian saying, damn. Would you would you like literally write it out like on a piece of paper or a document or word document or whatever or was it more of like like an outline type because I feel like it com- like completely different but we get asked in TV all the time like on a live shot like obviously in studio 90% of the time you're reading off a teleprompter unless you're the weather guy or the weather mm-hmm. woman but in this like in a case of a live shot you just put like an outline in and again you're talking for 30 30 to seconds to a minute versus five to 10 minutes of stand-up, but I'll usually put like bullet points or something like that. So I don't know if you do like word for word. Yeah, it starts out. It's it, the, the process for me was starting it out with bullet points and then writing it out. Like I'm, I've, uh, I've been really good. I'm, I'm available for hire for weddings, for funerals, <laughs> uh, for just general speeches. If I'm able to give a speech and have notes in front of me, even if it's verbatim notes, I can usually do a pretty good job. So because I was, so novice at it when I started, I did write out exactly what I wanted to say and I had it memorized and I knew I knew where to pause or I knew where my break points were for uh, for potential laughter. And uh, yeah, it worked out well like that. But again, most comedians, they have typically written out what they want to say and they have it memorized. And I'm guessing if you're at it long enough, you can get away with the bullet points thing or like, Comedians, when they're working material out and they're they're trying to figure out a new hour, you'll see them look at their phones and they'll have bullet points. And so it'll be like a bullet pointed idea and they'll look down at their phone to remember what it is that they want to talk about and they'll kind of workshop through that. But I would recommend anybody who's just getting started to know exactly what it is that you want to say when you get on stage. While also understanding that the crowd will also have a say-so, and you may have some jackass who's heckling you in the middle of the show. Hopefully that's not happening at an open mic. Everybody understands that open micers are still pretty fresh, (laughs) pretty new at things, and they're, you know, you trying to heckle that person is you just being a colossal asshole. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's a pretty shitty thing to do. 
I would say. It's a <laughs> shitty thing to do to regular stand-up comedians, but we're in a an interesting place with stand-up comedy right now where it really is a sort of golden age in stand-up. But with that, you have a lot of people who are new to the art form who have also gotten used to seeing comedians doing crowd work on Instagram, let's say. And so they think that's a part of the show. That's not a part of the show unless the comedian wants to, it to be a part of the show. Like, don't go to a comedy show thinking that you're about to engage in Mystery Science Theater 3000. Nobody want, nobody cares or wants to hear whatever it is that you have to say in between jokes or at punchlines. Laugh when you're supposed to laugh. Clap when you're supposed to clap. And otherwise, shut the fuck up. <laughs> My, my that's my advice to uh, any new comedy club goers who are uh, thinking of a show here pretty soon. That's pretty uh pretty straightforward advice there. <laughs> I like that. I've been to too many of these things. I'm actually going to two different comedy shows this weekend. As a matter of fact, Sam Tripoli's at Vulcan Gas Company on sa- on Friday, and then Greg Fitzsimmons is uh, he's recording a new hour at Rogan's comedy mothership this weekend so i'm gonna go see fitzsimmons on saturday and sam tripoli on friday it should be fun sounds like a good weekend and that's the other thing i want to do at vegas also is go see shows whether it's cirque du soleil or there's like four or five different comedy clubs there now or i don't know something like david copperfield something along those lines i want to find a show to go to i just don't know what the best option is like i've looked at a couple of different websites that list all the options. There's nothing that's jumping out to me just yet. The Sphere, um, there aren't any like music shows going on there right now. There's a Darren Aronofsky film that was produced specifically for the Vegas Sphere that I've considered getting tickets for. But right now we've got a couple dinner reservations and everything else is wide open. We are going to go see the Pinball Hall of Fame apparently with my brother-in-law, which... I like a game of pinball. I don't know about a Hall of Fame for pinball, but we'll we'll see what that entails. Yeah, you you, you mentioned shows in Vegas. That, that's where like I'm, I'm 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 not the guy to ask on that. I think I don't even think I've done that at all in Vegas. It's just total like, just go like second we land, just full full degeneracy of just like how can we make as many bets as possible. I have one of my best friends is huge blackjack player. Like mm. he he's got a decent amount of money and likes to bet a decent amount of money. And he's really good at blackjack. So mm-hmm. we'll actually like, he'll go in the high rollers room and we'll like invest in him. Like I'll give him like a couple hundred bucks and then he'll, he's lost it before, but he's also come back. I've given him like 300 bucks and he's been like, like he'll come back like two hours later and hand me $800, like stuff Holy like that. Where shit. Yeah. But he's also lost it all before too. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the stuff. I mean, he's really good at it. Don't get me wrong, but that's, that's that's the type of stuff that we go do, and then it's like we and I think how many days are you guys going? We're getting in tomorrow at like eight a.m. Vegas time and leaving. I want to say early afternoon on Thursday, so we're really only going to be there for two days. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. See that, that that's what I was saying. Like, vacation just to unwind from Vegas, right? There's been a few times where we were like, this trip is like way too long. Like I had one of one of the buddies like left early, like left like a day early one of the times because he was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like he's just like, I gotta get back on the plane and go home. Like this is ridiculous. Vegas is one of those places. I feel the same way about New York City, too, by the way, where you go it's there. Overwhelming. 
And if you end up going there, because I feel like one time I went for four days, by the fourth day, I was like, I am so over this fucking city. I never come back here. It'll be too soon. But even though we went for a Super Bowl weekend, like the Super Bowl was happening on Sunday. So the bets we were making wouldn't even cash out until after the game. So we were, if we wanted to gamble, we were forced to sit at a blackjack table or roulette or craps or whatever else and do that. And that's the, the side of Vegas that I just don't care to see anymore. Because I already know that win or lose, I'm an impatient gambler. So win or lose, I'm just going to end up losing more. Like even if I'm up at that point in time and like I'm going there to cash out a $7,000 ticket, I don't want to come back on Thursday having lost 5000 of that, Jeff. But if I go to a blackjack table or a craps table, that's what's going to end up happening. Well, that's the thing about, <laughs> about blackjack is it goes like that. Yeah. Uh, one, one before we get to Texas football in a minute, one last, actually, this is Texas football related for me, or Texas football adjacent blackjack story here. Okay. 2018, we go to the Sugar Bowl and best, best eight days, most fun combined eight days of fun with people in the business that I call friends, Bob, Anthony, um, rest of the Austin media that made the trip and all that, you know, we weren't doing anything too crazy, but you know, you go to new Orleans, you got, you finish your, finish your work, you got to have, got to have a couple of drinks. Yeah. Well, I clinched a, I can't remember like the way the days worked out. We were there for a week, but it might've been like Thursday to Thursday or something like that. Well, mm -hmm. I closed out a fantasy football championship and it wasn't like a ton of money, but it was like probably four or $500 payout. Nice. And, and Bob was like, do you want me to send you the money right now? Like we're at dinner and I had had probably, I maybe had like a beer or two by then or something. And I was like, I think I'm good. Like we're going to go to Harris later, but no, nah, I think I'm still good. Well, a couple drinks later, I'm like, send me that money. Send me that money. <laughs> He's, he sends me the money. I auto cash it out. I go get like $400 from the ATM I go to the blackjack table. It's just me at a 10 or a $5 minimum blackjack table. That was kind of the fun thing. I don't know if new Orleans is still that way, but it's not like Vegas where every blackjack table on the strip is minimum like $25 a hand. And you're like, you could realistically lose like a thousand dollars really quickly. Not that I'd ever yeah. be putting that kind of money down on a table, but I put the 400 down. I'm not kidding you, Trey. I won one hand the entire time. And oh. by that point I was just like, I was just like, you know, I'd been drinking and I was, I, I lost the entire 400 in probably like, probably 12 minutes. I'm not going to oh lie. Goodness. Even the, the, the dealer looked at me and she goes, I don't think I'm going to get a tip, huh? Like it was like, she was basically like just looking at me like this is historically like bad. Like you're terrible and you're unlucky basically is what she was telling me. And I think I ended up giving her a couple bucks, but I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm basically out of money. So that was the last time I played blackjack. Yep, and you like, have just rein reinforced why I, I won't be playing blackjack over the next couple of days. Like, I've been told that craps, if you if there's a game that you can play where the odds are close to in your favor, it is craps, but I don't know how to play craps, and I'm not going to learn in the time that it takes to fly to Vegas, three hours or whatever that is. So if I'm you have people that are with you that know how to do that, like, that's what we did when we were in um, Scottsdale for my bachelor party. Like we didn't play for very long, but we went to the talking stick casino and my buddies that knew how to play were like, stand here and I'll tell you what to do, you know, like that kind of stuff. And and we had fun. It's it once you figure out how to play, it seems like it's like it's a much more involved game and everyone kind of has 
some sort of stake. And yeah, see, Jake, Jake says in the comments, it's the most fun game to play. And I haven't done it much, but the few times I've kind of just sat there and basically just watched my buddies and done what they told me to do. It was a good time. Hmm. Like, it's just very uh, eventful. You know, there's just, there's just a lot going on. It's not like blackjack where you're like, throw a card down, throw a card down, throw a card down, mm-hmm. like get effed, throw a card down. Well, and in blackjack, you're playing with a very specific set of unwritten rules that if you break that at all, the rest of the table gets pissed at you. And it's like, hey, it's my fucking hand to work with. I understand what you're supposed to do in a given situation, but maybe I want to operate differently. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, there were a couple times I did that in Vegas at a place where they had, uh, there was a place that had $1 Michelob Ultras back in the day. And we would go there and play $5 minimum blackjack. And I pissed off some guys because I didn't know what I was doing or whatever. And I just looked at them and I was like, dude, $5 blackjack, the cheapest place on the strip with $1 beers. You can't get pissed that I made one thing that was slightly against the what the book would say to do like piss off yeah but that but that's how those guys get yeah jake also suggests that you get on stage and you tell yo mama jokes always reliable okay so help me out here because uh you have a uh, soon-to-be stepson somebody that uh that you've talked about on the show before uh with your uh, fiance right now I've got a couple of kids myself, and there was something that was pretty commonplace when I was a kid. You're a little bit younger than me now, Jeff, but were yo mama jokes, were they a part of your childhood? Oh, yeah. With you and your friends telling one another yo mama jokes back in the day? Yeah, and then there was that show on MTV that was all, wasn't it all about, it was like a Nick Cannon show or something? Maybe I'm thinking of some, it was like a comedy, like, um, that would go back and forth, or maybe it was a, I don't know. Uh, roast battle sort of deal. Yo yeah, Mama I think so. Battle? Yeah. Interesting. I don't remember that, but I do remember Yo Mama jokes. And I remember the, uh, while there was some offensive stuff said with Yo Mama jokes, it was all pretty innocuous. Like you're just like f- trash talking one another pretty friendly while making fun of one another's moms. And most of the time it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. It's like no, mo- like your mom's not even fat, but you're saying she's, she's got more chins than Chinatown or whatever the joke was back in the day. Uh, or your mom is so ugly or your mom is so disheveled or your mama has so many cats. My mom doesn't have any cats. I don't know why you're saying my mom has so many cats. But uh, so I, we were having a conversation at the dinner table last night where my son had been told a yo mama joke that he that didn't even leave enough of an impact where he could properly retell us what the joke was. But this got us onto the subject of yo mama jokes and explaining to our kids what yo mama jokes were. And at one point I said, hey. I'll tell you guys some yo mama jokes so the next time you find yourself in a uh, yo mama joke uh, trash talk off, you'll come armed with some uh, some good jokes to recite and return. And so Justine looks at me a little bit angrily. She's like, well, I don't know if I'm okay with that. There should there could be some <laughs> offensive things said there. And I said, yeah, I get that. You know, we may have to do some self-censoring and look at certain jokes that were flying in the 1990s that aren't going to work in 2023 necessarily. But there were also some jokes that are fairly innocuous too. So my question for you as somebody 
who uh, has a young stepson who will eventually be asking you about your mama jokes. How are you going to properly explain to him what your mama jokes are if you can't tell him a few yo mama jokes in return? Yeah, I've been probably going to explain it similar to what you did, Trey. I'm going to tell him that it's a it's a great part about being a kid is joking around and doing crap like that on the playground. Like, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't have an issue with it. I also feel like the whole point of a yo mama joke is like, it's not really real. Like, like it was always oh, like, it was always like, it was always like, yo mama's so fat. And I'm like, like my mom weighs like 110 pounds. Like she's not fat, you know, like, like, I don't know, maybe if it was something like that was actually like, you're like, oh, that felt personal, like based on who it was coming from and what was said. But yeah, I feel like the whole point is like, your mom was so dumb. And it's like, you'd be saying stuff on the playground. And it's like, this person doesn't even, this kid doesn't even know who my mom is, you know? Yo mama's so fat when she fell. I didn't laugh, but the sidewalk cracked up. Yo mama's <laughs> exactly. so fat when she skips a meal, the stock market drops. Kids aren't even going to get that. Yo mama's so fat when she goes camping, the bears hide their food. Your mama's so fat if she buys a fur coat, a whole species will come extinct. Your mama's so fat, she stepped on a scale and it said, to be continued. Yeah, they're just fun. They're not rooted in reality. And I I, I did a, a little, got my, got my eye team on this tray. It was called, Yo, yeah, it was called Yo Mama, Three Seasons, 2006, created by Wilmer Valderrama on, oh, on MTV. And yeah, it was basically like, it, it looks like, from what I remember, they would get a bunch of like people together and almost like how you would do like a freestyle, like rap off kind of. Um, Your mama's just- so dumb. It took her an hour to cook minute rice. <laughs> Your mama's so dumb. She thought Twitter was social media for birds. So DJ says, your mama's so fat. She uses Google earth to take a selfie. Exactly. Your mama's so stupid. She thought a quarterback was a refund. Uh, so you just your mom was so ugly she threw a boom, boomerang and it refused to come back. Your mom is so ugly she made a blind kid cry. Is this just a list of the best ones somewhere? Yeah, it's your mom is so fat, your mom is so stupid, your mom is so ugly. And <laughs> Jake said, Should you be telling your mama jokes to your own kids? Though? <laughs> That's a fair question. Your mom is so poor, the ducks throw bread at her. Your mom. Your mama's so short, you can see her feet on her driver's license. Uh, That's not even that big of an insult, is it? She's just short. Wow, CB. See that? CB says, your mama's so stupid, she went to Texas (laughs) A&M. Oh, that's good. Your mama's house so dirty, she has to wipe her feet before she goes outside. The the comment, we we just popped off the comments there with that. My gosh. I'm sure every Mother's Day, uh, Bucky and Aaron used to uh, to do the Yo Mama jokes. It worked well. I just thought it was interesting that my wife was so opposed to these jokes that don't even, it's not like you're, there were knife fights back in the 1990s or 2000s from kids who were saying Yo Mama jokes to one another. They were basically just cracking each other up over absurd, stupid stuff. And I feel like sometimes, I don't know if this, ha- this probably happens to you too, Trey. It's like, you almost have to remind yourself, like not even just from like being a parent standpoint, but even when I look at what college kids are doing, like like some of the stuff you see UT athletes doing or putting out on social media, you always have to remind yourself like these kids, like in your kids' age, like they're elementary school kids. If a UT player does something that's innocently stupid, but definitely stupid, he 
He's probably 19 years old. You have to be like, what was the dumb shit I was doing when I was 19 years old? You know, and it's a lot, a lot, a lot of dumb, a lot of dumb shit is what I was doing when I was 19 years old. Saying stupid things on the playground when I was eight. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit. That's how you, that's how you live and you learn. Yes, it is. That's how you toe the line of what, what can be said, what can't be said and all those kind of things. You learn from making those mistakes. Your, your parents can tell you so much. And we try and emphasize to our kids. We don't tell our kids cussing is illegal or you can't cuss. We just tell them if you're going to cuss, you better use it in the right context. That is going to be humorous and not offensive to your crowd. Like you always have to understand your crowd. I think I told you this story earlier in the year. I told it on some other shows where one of my kids got in trouble for pulling his pants down. He kept his underoos up. Thank goodness his Pokemon underoos, but he pulled his pants down and showed his underoo butt to his classmates and they cracked up, but a teacher saw that. And so he got in trouble for it. It's like, I admire your attempt at the joke there. And that joke hit with most of your crowd, but you didn't realize part of your crowd is the teachers. And that's the crowd that matters the most in that situation. So be smarter next time. Exactly. Got to, got to know your audience. Know your audience indeed. CB asks this question, Jeff, with you as a uh, USC fan, as a USC fan, do you want Pete Kwiatkowski as the USC DC? Because reports are that he is on Lincoln Riley's list of potential candidates. I don't know how legit that is from the PK side of things, Jeff, but I would imagine uh, PK joining Lincoln staff at USC would be a welcome addition. Yeah, I would say... uh... I'll tell you, SC fans would be would be pretty excited about that. The kind of details or logistics that go into that that I don't know if are true or one, does PK want to leave Texas to go to USC for the same position? I mean, that's kind of a lateral move. He's already a highly respected defensive coordinator on an offensive coach's staff, so he's got a ton of control. Now, does he want to go to USC to do that. He's already getting paid a ton of money, Yep. you know, relative to other defensive coordinators across the country to do that job at Texas. So it's kind of like, unless there's some sort of connection to Los Angeles connection to USC, that's totally gone over my head. I just don't see why he would make that move. But also the other thing we got to recognize too, is especially with a guy like PK, who's been around a while, it's not always fair to assume that like, every coordinator, every position coach wants to take the same path that every guy did, that Sark did, that Lincoln Riley did of going from player to GA to quality control to position coach to coordinator to coordinator to bigger school to, you know, I know Lincoln and Sark skipped some of those steps, but just kind of the natural progression to eventually becoming a head coach. Pete Kwiatkowski might not want to do that. He might be like, hey, I love being the sought after highly paid defensive coordinator where, yeah, I get a lot of the blame when our defense isn't playing well, but I also don't get all the blame that the head coach gets. And I get paid a lot of money still too. <laughs> you know I mean? Gosh, man, like yeah. you paid two mil or whatever he's getting to call a defense. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, like that's pretty nice. So why would he go to USC to do that? Like to me, it doesn't make sense. Even if he, I mean, I'll look up exactly what he's making in a second let's say, let's just say it's two on the dot. So unless they're going to like pay him four at USC, which I know they're not going to do, you know, maybe three, I don't know. And everyone, that's the other thing too. Everyone has their own threshold of how much money is enough to then make what otherwise career wise would look like a lateral move. 
Yeah, and you also have to remember that he has spent the last three years recruiting guys that fit he, his defensive scheme because he runs something unique to what most of college football runs these days. And so that requires certain types of guys. You're essentially hitting the reset button to do that again. Now, granted, USC, you have a lot of talent at your disposal, but you also have that talent at your disposal here at Texas too. Ultimately, you're right. I think that does feel like too much of a lateral move with a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not you actually gel with how Lincoln Riley runs a program versus knowing how Steve Sarkeesian runs a program. And I'm assuming because I haven't heard anything suggesting otherwise behind the scenes that he and Sark get along really well. And let's remember, Sark had started filling out his defensive staff before Pete Kwiatkowski was actually his DC. So he only had so much say-so with regards to his position coaches and things. Well, I guess there could be an argument made that uh, the secondary doesn't always jive with the defensive front, but things have gelled pretty well on uh, with uh, with those circumstances. And so I, I, I think it would be a big shock, a huge upset, and I guess a huge coup for Lincoln Riley if he were to lure PK away from Austin. So, Trey, I, I guess I, I, I stand corrected here. It says he makes, on three's database, says he makes $1.7 million, and apparently that's lower than what they were paying Alex Grinch. I guess they were paying, which, my gosh, what a talk about absolute, talk about absolute theft. Yeah. He said Alex Grinch was making 1.8 million. So and so, PK wait, Grinch was making 1.8 and PK is making 1.7. Yeah. So That's PK, what, I think the way the numbers work out, PK actually makes more money when you take into consideration the lack of state income tax. Oh, well, and also there could I don't know there could be incentives. I mean I'm that's true too. Looking at this right here, but apparently he, uh, I mean he is a looks like he is a Southern California guy. We played at Boise State back in the day, and I think he grew up in like Santa Barbara. PK did, I think so. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I mean that. Hey, there's there's a couple things. Yeah, Daryl says 1.7 base salary. That's what I was seeing, but I I couldn't I couldn't immediately pull up like, you know, what are the maybe his incentives are better if they win a Big Twelve championship, if they go to the playoff, if they. Um, win a New Year's Six Bowl game, you know, those kind of things that you never know, like, what's what's thrown in. I'm sure, I mean, obviously, it's out there somewhere. But, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's, um, maybe that's more of a realistic possibility than I think. Hmm. So, other than getting recognized for the weekly show that you do on Texas Sports Unfiltered, what did you make of the Longhorns' victory over TCU on Saturday night from the sidelines? Which, uh, Trey, first, first things first, I got to say, if I'm getting recognized for two hours once a week, you guys, you guys are have got to be like rock stars. I mean, that's I think- rock stars <laughs> doesn't exactly describe it correctly. It's more like the hobo who's known for masturbating on the street corner <laughs> under the highway overpass. Um. <laughs> so there's some recognition there for sure. Am I supposed to just like? Go back to talking about football now after that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Hey, but you know what? At least you're at least you're uh at least you're known for something, Trey. (laughs) I am known for something. If you're known for that, at least you're known for something. And you know what? Good for you for, you know, getting out of people's way and doing that under the underpass. I just reckon I know it, it, it always feels great to have somebody come up and uh, recognize you 
funny enough, it's it's I guess it's my face also, but it's almost always my voice because I have a distinct monotone that is also pretty loud too. <laughs> Justine tells me all the time, you talk way too loud. I can't help it. I project yeah. for my job. And so I guess I project in life, but I'll have people come up and be like, are you Trey? Yeah. Oh man. I totally recognize your voice. Great. To, great to talk to you. Love what, love what you guys do for Texas sports unfiltered. Love what you did on the horn back in the day. And uh, you have to, you have to be gracious in those moments, even if it's not always opportune to uh, say hello to a complete stranger. I, I always appreciate somebody coming up and, and uh, giving some positive feedback on what it is that I try and do here each and every day. Oh yeah, for sure. And you mentioned people recognizing your voice. What, what I usually get is like people and it doesn't, I mean, we don't get recognized that often. And Bob does way more than I do, obviously. Yeah. But for me, it's more like, like, it, gosh, I recognize you. You look so familiar. And my go-to response is always, I just kind of have that generic white guy look. And then it always gets some sort of either like surprised laugh or just uncomfortable chuckle. And it kind of like, it's kind of like my way of like, not like, not that I care, but it's kind of my way of just like throwing it back at somebody. Disarming, yeah. For somebody coming up to you and being like, you look familiar. Where do I know your face? You know, it's like, not not that that, that's not rude by any means. I mean, I'm happy that they at least remember me from somewhere. But I also look at it as like, clearly I was so memorable that one time you saw me on the news after the uh, Alabama LSU game or <laughs> what, whatever it was. But I feel, I feel like because you're a good looking dude also that good looking people often get mistaken for other good looking people. Like you feel like you've seen that person on a TV show or a movie or something, even well, if they don't, even if they can't put the finger on the fact that they have seen you on television, it was just uh, covering a longhorn game or something like that on KI. And I've also gotten that. I've gotten that for years too. Like even in college, like we'd be like on sixth street and somebody would be like, are you so-and-so's brother or something like that? I got that all the time. And I was like, I am somebody's brother, but not who you're thinking of. (laughs) Was it usually the same actor that you would get asked about? Like, no, 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 no. It would be somebody like, like, let's say it would be like a guy that came up and thought I was like somebody that he went to like high school with me oh. or something, and I was like their brother. It was, it was not like anybody um, like famous or anything like that. Really? Wait a second. Are you Matthew McConaughey's brother? Are you Jeff McConaughey? <laughs> does he have a brother? I don't know. Actually, yeah, he does. He does have two brothers. I want to say I read his memoir that came out a few years ago before I interviewed him. He has at least one, if not two brothers. Yeah. If he was my brother, I'd, I'd have a more expensive quarter zip on. <laughs> yeah. I would have spent more than $25 on this quarter zip if I was related to Matthew McConaughey and in, in, in that direct of a, of a relation. Exactly. So from the sidelines, did it look like Quinn Ewers was still a little bit hampered playing the game on Saturday night? Because it looked to me like he was a little bit uncomfortable, like he was still dealing with something. His throws, they lacked a certain zip. And the guy also went to the locker room early at halftime too, which speaks to the need to uh, maybe get some treatment on that shoulder to make sure that it stays warm for the second half. So I didn't necessarily see anything in the way that he was moving per se that was like, he's still hurting. I'm sure he was still feeling some sort of discomfort. I mean, after the game, he didn't really say as much, but he did make the comment of like, got to keep getting the treatment, got to keep doing this, which 
he would do anyway, but that wouldn't really be top of mind if you were like, I feel great after that yeah. game, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure there was a little bit of that, but I don't think he was really hampered. Like, I don't think there was a throw that he couldn't make in that game. Like, I don't, I, I honestly do not think Sark would have put him out there if there was certain throws that he couldn't make. Like, you know, if there was, if it was, oh, hey, he can't make that like deep throw or that, or, you know, um, cross the body throw, roll out throw, whatever it may be. I think he was able to make every throw. Whether what level of pain that came with, we'll we'll never know. But I don't even know if I'd call it rust as much as it just takes time. I think to get that rhythm back. And you know, I never played quarterback, obviously, and I never played it at that level for for damn sure. But there's got to be something too, like the timing, getting the timing back in practice is one thing, and then getting the timing back when there's a live pass rush in front of you is another thing. So. Those were probably the things that I think I saw the most that maybe stood out to where he was, a, I guess you could say rusty, but just needing to get a little bit of that, that timing and, and rhythm back. I mean, the throw to the throw to Xavier worthy, uh, the first one where it got intercepted. The second one obviously was, was much better. Very similar, very similar throw. It, w- it was on a line, but it was also closer to the line of scrimmage too. I want to say it was like 25 yards downfield maybe 30 whereas he was trying to throw the ball 40 to 45 yards downfield the first time and it just ended up as a pretty bad underthrow like even ad mitchell that last catch that he made that essentially secured the game that was a pretty bad underthrow there where ad mitchell made a great adjustment to catch that football but he didn't want to put the football right there dre i uh i try not to be a hater i really try not to be a hater just feel like people make a lot of excuses for him. I just feel like they make a lot of excuses for him and him coming back in that game on the road, gutsy. Like I'm not doubting any of that. It's a really bad throw, Trey. Like that was a really bad throw to Xavier worthy. He still missed a lot of those deep balls late. And I mean, I guess we're giving him credit on the third and 12 for giving his guy a chance. That was an absolutely unbelievable catch. unbelievable catch the adjustment on that play was was filthy i mean that was that was a sunday catch and we've talked a little bit periodically you know here and there when we've been doing the show trey about like guys draft stocks and those kind of things um and how ad mitchell you know i mentioned the pff one at the beginning of october that had him like going at the end of the first round that was a first round pick catch and even Quinn threw a good ball to him on the touchdown in the corner of the end zone. Like I thought that was a good ball. That was one where he should have to make an adjustment on that play based on the route. And it was pretty good coverage. I thought at first, um, but I just feel like I'm, I'm like waiting for, and maybe this isn't the offense. Maybe it's an unfair expectation for me. I'm just like waiting to be wowed. I'm waiting for like a Quinn Ewers game where I'm just like, Oh my God, that dude could not be stopped. Hmm. And Again, it's probably unfair for me because, like, he's coming back from an injury, and also he he really probably isn't asked to do that. But I don't know. Just, like, all this hype, you know, the last two weeks, how we just, you know, oh, all this about Malik Murphy and this and that, about, oh, freshman mistakes, which he definitely made. I just kind of, like, it just feels like different energy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm way off on that. He's had some good games this year. Saturday was statistically the game was decent for him, but it wasn't a good game in terms of like just watching him throw the football. 
And it was 74, it was 74 yards, 74 yards of, of that was on, um, was on the Brooks screen pass, which was a unbelievable play design. Like that's another thing too. I always tell you, I always mention something that from our Sunday segment that we do with Alex Okafor, Longhorn, Longhorn Great. We love having him in studio um, for our sports Sunday show on CBS Austin. And, and he, he brought that up too of like, Sark's play calling, man. Like you can criticize some of it and some of the, maybe more the decision-making towards the end, but just the creativity on some of these plays is, is pretty, pretty top notch when you break it down. Like that screen pass, Alex broke that one down on the show. And, you know, like I always tell you, I I miss a lot of that stuff from the other end of the field. Mm -hmm. It was a really damn good play design. The blocking on it was awesome. And then Brooks did what, and we'll we can talk about him in a minute, how much of a bummer that is. But he he did what he's been doing all season. When you just give him a lane, he's gonna he's gonna set up blocks and then you give him the lane and he's gonna take off. Yeah, Jonathan Brooks being out for the year, it sucks for a lot of reasons. One, Jonathan Brooks was an easy guy to root for, made easier, by the way, by the feature that you did for KI a few weeks ago where he was being honored in his hometown. So he's a good dude and he's a, a really good player too. And it felt like he was a bit slighted to start the season by not being this team starting running back, but uh, typical to, to who he is as a person. He didn't once complain about it. He just continued biding his time. And when he finally got that opportunity beginning with the Alabama game, but as the starter with the Wyoming game and going forward, he proved to be one of the best running backs in this conference and in the entire country too. And this is a football team that was winning games based on how Jonathan Brooks was playing over the last month now. Uh, When things were really shaky with Malik or Quinn, whoever back there as the quarterback, Jonathan Brooks was the steadying influence for you. Even the face of pro football focus grading Texas offensive line as being below average as run blockers this year. That mattered less because Jonathan Brooks was so good at the position. And now you don't have him the rest of the way. And you get to see uh, exactly what you have with C.J. Baxter. This offensive line's hopefully stepping it up a little bit as run blockers. I think they've been better over these last few weeks. But also what you might be able to get out of Keelan Robinson and Jaden Blue and maybe some combination of those three guys coming close to providing the punch that Jonathan Brooks has through uh, the first 10 games of the season. Yeah, it's going to be – oh, God, were you going to say something else, Trey? Sorry. Nope. Oh yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what I mean. We know what the first option now becomes, and I'm I am interested to see what C.J. Baxter can do. I'm curious how Sark handles that C.J. Baxter role now, kind of the carries that he was getting. Where I think he has 87 carries, um, which I want to say I looked a little while ago, and it was I think that was exactly a hundred less than Jonathan Brooks had through these first 10 games. Brooks mm-hmm. had 187 carries. C.J. Baxter has 87 so far. So now who kind of moves into that other role? Cause we didn't really see any, I don't think we saw Keelan Robinson at all. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, if he played at all on, on Saturday. Um, maybe we see him a little bit more Jaden blue and his limited spots has looked really good. Whether it was that awesome run on whatever you want to call that defense. He played third string UT defense in the spring game. <laughs> and then the run he had a think in the BYU game at the end, that touchdown run. So he's he's shown a little bit, you know, and um, we'll see what we'll see what Sark does there and how he fits that in. But maybe we see a little bit more of um, 
like, I don't know, do we see a little more Jontae Cook? Do we see them just kind of lean more on the passing game? Um, this weekend, we can talk to you know, we can talk to Tristan about this in a few minutes, but like, do you you don't want to abandon the run game, obviously, but you you know you're gonna have to lean a little bit more on the pass. But then the other side of that is you're going on the road against a really physical team. So you are gonna want to establish the run early on and say, hey, we are here to play. Um and that it can open up the pass from there. It's it's an interesting spot because you would hope that Quinn is even healthier moving forward when you get to Ames on Saturday night. But you just never know. Texas is in an interesting spot, and of course, these are things that you know Sark will never will never say. We'll just have to see when the game plans rolled out Saturday. But yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how how he handles the run game. Do they start passing more? I'm sure they will, but like how much more? Right at about 2 o'clock on Mondays, Lifetime Longhorn Tristan Nicholson joins the show on cue, and here he is this week. Background still looking good. What's up, Tristan? How are we doing this week? What's going on, guys? Uh, I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Doing great, thank you. I am going to ask a question and then step away to grab some water while you and uh, Jeff continue the conversation. So um, you obviously saw Jonathan Brooks go down to that injury. On Saturday, Tristan, it's a bummer because he is one of, if not your best player on offense up to this point in the season. So uh, how do you think this offensive line and these other running backs respond now? Yeah, Trey, I think you you, you said it. It's a bummer, man. Anytime a guy's season ends like that, um, who was playing really, really high-level football, right? Um, certainly well enough to, to get him some attention at the next level and probably is the, the number one, if not number two, running back in, in this draft, in my opinion. Um, so that sucks that his, his season ends like that. But as far as move on and next man up, yeah, I, I think you're going to have to lean heavy on your guys that you, you've turned to this year. Um, Savion Red's probably going to get some more uh, action, but but CJ Baxter is going to be your guy. I, I was listening a little bit before I came on, and, and, and Jeff, you guys were talking about uh, you know what do you do game plan wise, right? Um, I don't think you abandoned the run completely, right? Yeah. You, I, don't, I don't think you 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 could do that, especially with Quinn having just come back. You don't want him to to push his limits too much, but it certainly puts you in a pickle. Yeah, Tristan, you mentioned you were listening earlier, me rambling uh, in circles about <laughs> what you do with the game plan. Well, you you got to do this, but you can't do too much of that. And I, I don't know what what is the approach now where. You say, okay, we've got somebody we're pretty confident in, in CJ Baxter. Guy's also still only played 10 college games, and he's in different type of points where he's come in the game. But I feel like he's, I mean, 87 carries through 10 games. So he's getting he's getting a decent amount of carries. He's catching a couple passes. Like he he has some experience now. Do you start just giving him 20 carries a game now? I mean, how do you adjust that philosophy and that game plan? No, absolutely. I mean, I think the immediate adjustment is, yeah, you plug CJ in exactly where you had Jonathan Brooks, right? Um, it is term of caliber of player and, and experience. He's, he's, he's not up to what, what CJ was doing, but, uh, or JB was doing rather, but no, yeah, I, th- I think you plug him in immediately, especially in first couple of days of practice are going to be very telling um, ju- just from a, a team standpoint, they're going to plug him in. Uh, to where they had JB before, if he can run that offense and make those plays in practice, then 
we might see that as a game plan. But if you you feel like as a coaching staff, you might have some hesitancy of, of giving him that kind of workload, then we could see the game change a little bit more, more passing, more uh, uh, Xavier worthy, more, more, more everybody, right? Um, spread the ball around, which I, I don't think is a, a bad plan, by the way. They've got some serious weapons on offense outside of Jonathan Brooks. And so I, I wouldn't mind seeing the, the ball get spread around a bit on the outside, at least. What stands out to you the most about the Longhorns 29-26 win over TCU a couple days ago? You know, you say it, everybody says it, right? A win's a win. I mean, that uh, for me at this point in the season, I think you're less impressed with or you're less uh, focused on making a, a, an impressive showing for the committee or whatever it is at this point. I think it's all about winning football games. And I think in, in years past, this is where Texas football teams have had issues is winning games that they were definitely supposed to and, and letting opponents that, that frankly aren't, aren't uh, up to their caliber, especially this year, stay in games late. Uh, you know, they did it. They did it last week against Kansas state, although Kansas state's a good football team, but it shouldn't have even been close. Should, shouldn't have had our, our, everyone biting their nails toward the end of this one. It should have been over pretty quick. And so I think that's been the, the Achilles heel for Texas programs for a long time. So my, my frustration or my, my worry with that is that you've got two games coming up that you definitely should win. I mean, I think you're outmatching and outclassing both of their upcoming opponents, um, but those are the type of games that, that make Texas fans the most worried. But no, I trade, I guess to answer your question, I mean, a win's a win. I felt really good about it. Just wish it would have been over a lot sooner. Tristan, the return of Quinn Ewers, obviously what everyone was looking forward to, everyone was talking about coming into the week, has a pretty good stat line, 22 of 33 for 317, um, the touchdown to A.D. Mitchell, and then the pick, which um, I want to ask you about what, what happened on the pick afterwards a little bit later. But just on, on Quinn specifically, I feel like we sort of saw what, maybe we expected. I mean, I, I know I'm being a little bit of a hater here. I don't know if you heard that part earlier where I'm just kind of waiting for the game where I'm wowed, where I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like the Quinn Ewers is what everyone told me that he's the greatest recruit in the history of recruits. Like, I mean, am I, am I being a hater for one and just your, your evaluation of how he played in his return after two games out? No, I, I don't think you're being a hater, Jeff. I mean, anytime you're at this caliber of football, whether it's, you know, high school, college, or, or pros, right, where you've got people watching your every move from a player perspective, I think criticism is always going to be there. Um, and, and so for Quinn Ewers, I think to look at him as a player, it's like even with the missed games, he wasn't having a Heisman-type year. This is not the, you know, this is not your Bo Nix or your, your, your Caleb Williams, right? You're not the plan, I don't think, from a coaching staff point of view, and you can see that in their gameplay and, and the way they spread the ball around so much, was never to give this guy a Heisman-type stat line. Uh, I mean, you got Jonathan Brooks for Pete Stakes, who, who who could have, in his own right, you know, made a Heisman run. Um, so anytime you've got that wealth of offensive power, I mean, the guy's got like, what, 14, 15 touchdowns? So uh, I don't know if you'll see that five-touchdown game where you're wild like that. But with what the kid does do really well is win you football games and put you in position to win football games and put you in decent enough spots where your multiple uh, first round future draft picks um, can make big plays. And, and that's what he did this game. Um, you know, I think there were some slip ups, especially from, from his point of view, the first pick, like you mentioned, looked like he, he didn't give it all he, all he had at first, but he got that one back and, and hit Xavier worthy on a line that, 
unless he stumbles over the ghost, should have scored. Well, that, that's a, a re- real quick, Tristan. That that's a great point, I think, because that's where I'm probably not being fair to Quinn is that he's not being asked to do what I'm wanting to see from him. So (laughs) just to be fair there, I mean, that's a great point. They are like Texas is nine and one. I think his, I think after you said 14 and four, I think it's 15 and five after this week now, or or some, something along those lines, he's completing 70% of his passes. So yeah. Two, two guys who can make anybody in the country miss, right? I mean, you, you give me one complete pass to Xavier worthy over, two DBs and I'll take that nine times out of 10. Right. So, yeah. I mean, if you're completing 80% of those throws, then, then yeah, I'd say you're doing exactly what this coaching staff is asking him to do. I'm just a hater. No, no, man. It's okay. Uh, it, 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 I think you just got to look at the team as a whole, but, but that could change this week, right? They could ask him to do a lot more and, and get the ball in, into those guys' hands and hopefully having a whole nother week of recovery and, uh, you know, this game under his belt, he feels like he might have knocked off a little rust. So maybe they ask him to do more and you will see a five touchdown. Day. I, I would love that because I think he's capable of it for sure. I want to see it. What do you think the defense's problem was in the fourth quarter, Tristan? It looked like they were tired to me, but they hadn't faced an excessive number of plays up to that point. You know, I mean, it, it, it's hot in, in Fort Worth, right? Now, I, I think the weather was great uh, for that game specifically. No, I. You know, TCU's one of those games that even when I was playing, they always played us tough. Um, and, and I think when you allow a well-coached team that, don't forget, just came off a national championship, so where they may be depleted as a roster, um, a lot of those guys have a lot of experience in big-time games. And so, you know, there's there's a, a storyline that's run throughout of Texas's season this year, which is this is the last time that the Horns are going to get uh, uh, Texas. I mean, it's a – 94 year old rivalry. I mean, it, all of it, right? Um, I do not hear that. No, I think you have to look at that's that storyline you've seen all year, right? So I hate to give them the benefit of the doubt when you allow teams late in the fourth quarter and then you make mistakes. Uh, anybody's anybody's best 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 best. Best. So, so, what's the, the uh, uh, like? What's, like, what's, what's it like going to Ames, where, where you, uh, you know, they you know, call the magic, magic you're playing, playing basketball, basketball and then and going to Ames, Ames football, whatever sport you're playing, it's a tough place to play if you're Texas. What do you remember going over there? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Did lose Did Trey? Trey? Mm, it looks like he froze there. Can you guys miss? Uh, I, I'm going to drop off and come back, Tristan. We'll talk to Tristan in just a second now. What was the question you just asked, Tristan, Jeff? Oh, just, oh, just about, about going, going to, to, um, um, going to going Ames. Ames there. I feel like Ames was the locale that he was telling us about that they went to on Halloween. 
and it was freezing there and they never really got warm and got their asses kicked as a result. So my guess is that uh, Tristan is going to tell Texas fans to exercise caution with your expectations. Like I, I am concerned about that game, Jeff, for a couple of different reasons. One is the, uh, the overall frigidity, fragility, frigidity. Yeah. I think that's a word. And based on that, like Quinn's ability to get warmed up and have that shoulder good to go for that game, because they will need so much more out of him as a passer because you no longer have Jonathan Brooks in there. Does the echo sound better on your end, Tristan? I'm no. 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 Um, um, uh, uh, you, you uh, have to remember about games. That's, that's a scary place to remember. Uh, we played there on Halloween night. My, my sophomore year. year. It was an awesome game. It was just Hmm. I am being told that I'm the only one not echoing. So let me try to drop off. Y'all stay on and then I'll come back in a second. All right. Tristan, you still got me? I got you and I don't hear an echo. So oh, I, there we go. I guess it was just Trey. <laughs> um, no, I, I told you guys that story. I think one of our first shows, um, that was a terrible game for us. And, and there's a few guys who will attest that the plane ride back from that game was so bad. This was 2021, I guess, um, 2020 maybe. But the plane ride back from Ames after getting whooped up on um, the, the plane, we experienced really bad turbulence. And, man, you had guys praying in their seats. It was it was a scary night. It wasn't fun. Well, and you, you mentioned your plane ride back in that game. I'm pretty sure the plane ride back from the Ames loss two years ago was the famous Bo Davis rant that, or I guess on the bus maybe to get to the plane or something, the famous Bo Davis rant that leaked and went viral where, oh. where, he, was, where he was going off. So, yeah, there, there's a – obviously Texas took care of business last year against Iowa State at home, but uh, I think there are still some some demons to be exercised, especially for the guys that were that were on that 5-7 and seven team. But one thing I wanted to ask you about too, uh, Trey touched on the defense a little bit. From – a passing defense standpoint, I mean, we know that where this team's de- – where, where the defense is bread is buttered is up front with those guys. I mean, you saw Tavondre Sweat had a big man just gobble you up sack. Byron Murphy had another one too. What are you seeing in in the back end there that at the end of these games, it kind of seems like it's, it's the same sort of routes and the same sort of passing trees that just end up getting these guys? Is it – is it pass rush isn't getting there anymore? Teams are just adjusting. What are you seeing from from why specifically the passing defense is just is just like basically disappearing at the end of games? Yeah, sure. I mean, like on paper, if you're giving up a lot of these really quick throws right in the middle, it, it's because the quarterback's catching the ball, one read, boom, throwing the ball. Um, that can be a a counter to like if you're getting too much rush, right? Um, so like get the ball out quick. Don't give these guys a chance to get upfield. Don't give them the chance to, to develop their stunts. So that could be it. Uh, when you play like that, then your, your linebackers and your, your underneath safeties have to be ready to, to step up. Um, but no, I, you know, it, it's one of those things that it, it seems like this defense gets into positions where they're, they're almost playing for the win or rather playing not to lose. Right. And that's not necessarily on the individual players that can be play calling as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you notice this again, kind of the same story against Oklahoma, right? 
um, got into a position where where they should have been playing defense that got them there. Yet, yet you want to switch it up. So it is frustrating from a fan perspective. But I can understand that when you are doing something that is working well the whole game, i.e., the pass rushing and the, the different slants that they were running and allowing those tackles to just eat, man. Um, then you know it, it's up to the opponent, right? It's up to TCU to that. Trey, we got you back. How's the echo sounding, guys? Fantastic. As in Sounds good to me. We're, we're just we're just like the Longhorns here. We're we're gonna get it done. We're gonna get the victory. Make some in-game adjustments and that's right. Keep keep moving on. Yeah. Figuring it out on the fly. Uh, did uh, any uh, any individual offensive line effort impress you against the Horn Frogs, Tristan? No, you know, I, I know this is a, a group that's been battered a little bit throughout the season. You've had some guys drop off, some guys come back on. I, I think their right guard or right tackle, rather, number 70, um, I think he had a tough night, right? I think he had two or three false starts, although one of them was really ticky-tacky. Uh, I think that was on the fourth down play um, where I really didn't think he jumped, but it, it can feel like sometimes that you're enemy number one from an offensive line perspective if you're getting all those calls and you got to remember, these guys don't want their name called, right? I mean, they want their name called on draft night um, and, and, you know, for individual awards. But if you're not being remembered for, for a game, then then it probably means you did your job. But, no, I think they did a great job protecting Quinn, um, keeping him off the ground. I don't think he got sacked. Um, maybe he did. But, uh, no, for, for the most part, it looked like it was a clean game for him, which in a normal game is great. In a game where your quarterback coming off of a shoulder injury, it's even better. Um, so no, I, I think all around it was a good night for the offensive line. They ran the ball well. Um, the, the big issue is fourth down, right? Um, still a, a plaguing this team at this point. I think I'm more just pun it or get rid of it. Um, it's not surprising anybody at this point, but the play calling all year on the on those type plays has been suspect at best. I don't necessarily think it's a, a, a personnel issue. Is it is it time to? maybe retire the code red package for a little bit then? You know, I, I, I think you got one carry in that package. I mean, I think the kid's a hell of an athlete. Um, and he's super I, tough too. Yeah, like, right? That's one thing that everyone says about him and you can see. Yeah, right. No, and so I think give him the ball in different positions. I think that's where he's had the most chance to shine because he, he's been picked for that package. But um, he's a good enough player that I think they should give him opportunities in other sides of, of, of the playbook, right? Um, but you know, the one play he did have, it, it just seemed like it was dead on arrival. So I, yeah, I would, I would retire that piece of the playbook and just go out a shotgun or go, go, you know, just play your offensive game plan and, and don't rely on, on stuff that you only get one or two reps a game at. I, oh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, let's spread, spread it out, spread it out and play the numbers game. You do that everywhere else on the field. I don't know. I, I don't understand why you feel the need to limit yourselves once you get closer to the goal line. And we actually saw a little bit more of that this last weekend and they had some success doing so too. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, they're, they, this, this team has proven willing to, take shots at, at really any point in the field in any situation. Um, you know, that third and 13 toward the end of the game throws a, a, a 30 yard bomb downfield. I mean, I, I love that, right? If the guy's open, give him a chance to make a play. And Adam Mitchell is a, an amazing athlete. Um, the catch, that catch that he made specifically was, was great. And then the, the touchdown was great too. So 
that's a real great pickup, right? Um, but but yeah, I don't know why you have to throw in gadget stuff or stuff that your opponents have seen all year and, and not change it up. So yeah, I, w- I would retire that package. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've talked a lot about Ad Mitchell, uh, his, his his running mate there, the one that we've seen for the last two years, Xavier Worthy had. His best game of the season, season high, 10 catches, season high, I think 137 receiving yards. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that that coincided with Quinn Ewers' return. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say something really nice here about Quinn Ewers. I'm gonna say he I thought he looked fantastic for a lot of the game and some of those intermediate plays of just getting the ball out to Worthy or the third down. I think it might have been the second quarter. It was like a third and long. He hit JT over the middle on a ball that maybe wasn't the best ball, but based on the way the coverage was, I thought it was placed. It was great ball placement, but Xavier Worthy specifically getting him going, given the Jonathan Brooks news. Now, how, how big is that, that he's coming off a game where he finally kind of got his mojo back and made some big plays. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, you're going to have to find out either way. Right. Um, you would love the, the, uh, the opportunity to to say let's rely on the ground game that's done really well all year for us, but that's probably not going to be uh, as good for him without without Jonathan Brooks. So I, I think you've got three, four really really solid weapons on the outside um, and and a tight end that I think could go up with the best of them. So yeah, get the ball out, get the ball out to those guys who are averaging ten yards uh, a catch with four or five of those being after contact. Um, that's a powerful tool when, when you got a guy that you can give the ball down to on a check down and he takes it 30 yards downfield or, or 50 yards for a touchdown. So give the ball, spread it around, put the ball in the hand of your five-star playmakers that you spend all this time and, and money recruiting in, right? Do you guys have anything else on the game from Saturday before I shift gears? <laughs> W's a W. <laughs> all matters, man. On to the next one. That's right. On to the next one. The next one is in Iowa, in Ames, Iowa. You talked a few weeks ago about uh, just how cold it can be there. You guys had a Halloween game that nobody got warmed up for, and y'all got your butts kicked as a result. I don't know if there's a way to properly prepare for cold weather that you haven't really felt up to this point in a year. I mean, you, you get there on, what, Thursday or Friday, and so you get a day or two to acclimate yourselves, but ultimately... Uh, you got to get out there and try and get get warm maybe 15 20 minutes before you normally do to to get get yourself acclimated right yeah you'll you'll fly in friday morning um this team will fly in friday morning they'll they'll have that afternoon at the stadium um or wherever you you hold practice and you'll have walkthroughs at night but you won't get to actually experience especially if it's a night game which i believe this one is yes it is um, of course they don't do day games in Ames. Um, <laughs> they don't do day games when texas goes on the road anywhere it seems like no, no that's prime time right uh so no they, they it'll be cold but they won't really this team won't really have a chance to experience that because you'll be in your hotels friday night so yeah it, it's it, it's a bit of a shock but you know the important thing is with teams like iowa state just like with tcu you get on them early and you keep them down they'll, they'll go away um, but if you don't, then they won't. So that, that's what you've got to watch out for. So score as much as you can, as early as you can, and, and keep it out before it gets really, really dark and really, really cold. So, yeah, at 7 o'clock, which is when this game is supposed to kick off, according to my weather guessing app, it's going to be 43 degrees, and it's going to be in the 30s by the time the game comes to an end. So just brace oh. yourselves. And also know it could be colder, too, by the way. Yeah. 
Weather guy is not always right. No, that that is a that's a cold that's a cold night. Okay, so Jeff and I talked about this earlier in the show, Tristan. I was eating dinner with my family last night, and I've got a nine-year-old daughter, seven-year-old son, and my son mentioned that somebody told him a yo mama joke at school last week, and he couldn't even remember what the joke was. But at this point, we start to explain to him what yo mama jokes are, and I say to my kids and my wife, obviously, in earshot, I'm going to have to tell you guys some yo mama jokes so that you can be properly armed for the next time you're facing yo mama jokes from one of your friends at school. Sure. My wife looks at me shocked and says, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. There were some really offensive yo mama jokes back in the day. And I don't dispute that necessarily, but I also think that the insensitivity of yo mama jokes is not, it's not coming from a place of hate necessarily. And so you can use some discretion and avoid certain jokes from back in the 1990s that flew back then, but not in modern times, while also still letting them understand the proper essence of the Yo Mama joke. You agree with that? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't a big Yo Mama joke guy. Um, I, I was, I was, you know, I, I was born in the 90s, but didn't experience the 90s um, as much. But, but I don't, I don't mind a yo mama joke. It doesn't, it doesn't offend me, but of course I'm, I'm not a mama. So I, I think we've got to account for all voices nowadays though. So Tristan, were you, were you a trash talker at all then? Like, did you ever hear a yo mama joke in the trenches? Yeah. Well, I don't know about the trenches. I I think I shared uh, on site with you guys uh, for the Oklahoma game. It, especially in the trenches, you're, you're so tired, man. It's in between plays. By the time you get up to somebody, you know, because the play ends, you get up, you, you help your guy up, you're running back, quarterback, whatever. You get back to the huddle. We huddle a lot. So you get back to the huddle, you get your play. You only got a couple seconds, if anything, to, you know, identify your coverages and then talk any, any shit that you want. So if you can squeeze out a, fuck you guys. <laughs> in, in between the huffing and puffing, right, then, then you try. But no, there weren't any, like, eloquent uh, uh, monologues going on in the trenches. But, uh, you know, there, there's reoccurring uh, instances where, where you'll get a guy who just talks the whole game to you. Usually it's not your guy, right? It's not the guy you've actually been going against. It's the backside linebacker that, um, you know, is their star player or whatever, and you give them a couple cheap shots and then they start talking. But Or DBs. DBs love to talk. Um, yeah. Because all they do is run around back there all day. They got all the energy in the world. So, shout who's out. The biggest, who's the biggest trash talker you played with at Texas? That I played with, uh, like I said, shout out Duke Thomas, um, who is one of our, <laughs> who is one of our our, our cornerbacks, uh, safeties, and he uh, ended up playing for the Cowboys and some other teams. had a, had a good NFL career, but him and I were were similar ages, and I think we were in there for three years uh, at the same time. So. Uh, I got a lot of his his trash talking smart dude, which is which is the the not what you want to have as a trash talking opponent, because I'd say my, you know, my grumbled out like, yeah, I got you. And then he'd come back, back with something even better, like a yo mama joke. And then I'm just sitting there not prepared. Trey, I'm like, I'm like your son on the playground. I'm, I wasn't prepared for for his trash talking. level. But I, I, think, I think that's what I hear. Yo mama's so fat. She farts gravy. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. But I think, and it, Tristan, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong about this because it could have been different at, at the D1 level. And obviously sometimes on the sidelines I'll hear a little bit of it from where I'm at. But I think people 
people have to realize like most of the time to your point about you guys being so tired and maybe it's like, a, Oh, I got you where you're just trying to get a word out. Like I think most of the trash talk, even when a receiver gets up or a DB gets up, like it's pretty basic stuff. Like, I don't know if people just kind of create something different in their head, but most of the time it's like a guy catches like Xavier worthy might catch a pass and I'm not quoting him on this, but it might just be like, like you can't guard me. You can't guard me. And it's just sure. like super intense, you know, but it's not really yeah. like something specific, like, you're a really bad football player and you're 40 times not going to get you to the NFL or like something like that, you know? No, that would be devastating though. Yeah. Um, but it's I not was... like, it's not calculated. It's just intense, like testosterone yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And you're, you're in the moment. I mean, especially at the wide receiver position in, in most cases, you're going against the same one or two guys the whole game. Right. And for an Xavier worthy, I'm sure they're talking every play because there are plays where, you know, you hate them for it, but uh, you know, wide receivers don't do anything. Uh, they just stand on the backside of the run play and they, they sit there and they can talk with their guy. Um, I don't know what they're doing half the game, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's long drawn. At least it isn't on the line. So it, it could be different out there, but, but you know, they never let me line out uh, out wide. Unfortunately. They're, they're, they're loss on that one, Tristan. Absolutely. Jeff, you've never seen my 40 time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to picture you catching like the Byron Murphy touchdown from the Wyoming game. Listen, man, I should have been a tight end. Trist Tristan Nicholson reporting eligible on this play. Yeah, right. Never heard of that. Did you, you didn't have the good enough hands to uh, report eligible? As I've got great hands. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. I, I've got fantastic hands. It's the getting there. I, you know, you put me in the end zone, I'm sure – listen, my hands were so good. If you put me in the end zone, I'm sure they'd have put me out there for the, the Hail Mary plays at the end of the game. However, I'd be like five, ten yards down the field by the time you had to throw the ball, so that wasn't that wasn't an option, right? Uh, it's the getting there that, that would have been the problem. You don't get soft hands from playing offensive lines, so what did you do growing up that gave you soft hands? You know, I, I played basketball a little bit, but but wasn't a baseball kid. Um, really focused on on football, but uh, I don't know. Um, I played center primarily from like seventh to probably sophomore year in high school. I played center, so you know you got you got to have a little bit of touch throwing it back there, and I also deep snap. So um, that's probably where I got it from. Okay. Mom's a volleyball player too, so I got long fingers. So I don't know. There's, there's just so much surface area that you don't really have to have that soft of a touch either, right? Just throw it in the big net and I'll, I'll find a way to make a play. You say that, but there are guys with big hands who just let the thing bounce, balls bounce off their hands like they're bricks. Could, couldn't be me. Touches the fingers, you get, you should catch it. That's the rules. Tristan, I, I actually, I, I did have one more on the TCU game that I meant to get mm -hmm. to uh, before we had our, our echo issues there. Sure. The, Quinn Ewers interception, I want to talk about how they got the ball back because that's one thing that the guys talked about a lot at the end of the game, especially the Jordan Whittington stripping it free. But just the overall effort of that play, if you break down what happened on that play, basically the safety flies across, intercepts it, and then he runs back. Jordan Whittington actually misses the tackle first. Uh, Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy are both out of frame, and they both come back in to make the play. I mean – are we, are we like overdoing it, giving them too much credit for the effort on that? Like, but what, what do you think that says about just where this program's at the effort on that play? I mean, people have raved about Jay Witt and the little things that he does, but then also from Xavier too, a guy that, you know, people have gotten on for drops last year and myself included in that. And 
Um, not necessarily a lack of effort, but, you know, those kind of things. Just the, the effort overall from those two on that play to have their quarterbacks back and have the teams back, too. We, yeah, we, no, I, I, I saw that, I, and I didn't realize it until having watched it like two or three times back that he actually did make miss the tackle and then yeah. got back up. I mean, that's awesome. I No, I don't think you can give a guy like that enough credit um, for a play like that because I don't think anybody would have faulted him for trying to make that tackle and then – you know, just gotten up and watched it happen. I think that that's pretty normal, right? When a guy's 20 yards downfield and you look up, no one's going to go back in the film and say like, you're a bad teammate for not making that effort. Right. But the fact that he did shows up, like you said, it's the little things. Again, if he'd have made the tackle and didn't strip the ball, then we're probably not talking about it, but you know, he got himself in that position, made a great play. I mean, it was a hell of a tackle. I don't know if that dude played defense in, in high school, probably did. Um, but it was a great tackle. And so I, Anytime you've got plays like that, uh, it shows me that the team cares, which is always a plus in my book. Um, anytime you see guys pull up on hits that they should make or or really not give a fuck, right? Like that dude's got some give a fuck in him, which which from a a, a, a team perspective, that that is just the best thing that you can have from a you know if you're you're a coach and you want that for your team because. It just shows that that dude is going to do everything in his power to make sure you win football games. So from a coach's perspective, you got to have that on your team or else you're, you're not going to be put in positions where you can win football games. Uh, so, no, I love it. Give him all the credit in the world. Yeah, it'd be great if he caught everything that came to him. But what the team needed him right then to do was make a great defensive play, and he did it. So kudos to him. That's especially impressive because he's unfortunately been an afterthought in the passing attack far too often this year. I mean, even in this game, he had zero catches, but he did have one very important forced fumble. And and that's even more telling, Trey, right? Like if you had zero catches, if if Jeff and I sat here and talked the entire show and didn't let you get in a word in edgewise, but then you came in at the last second to to save us on something, like we think you're a great guy. I mean, that dude could easily – now, I don't know if he would play, but he could easily just, you know – have not even tried to make the first tackle and said, well, they're not throwing me the ball. And, and so why should I care? But, but he didn't, and he does care. And, and that, that is the kind of guy you want on your football team. So yeah, I would, I would throw him a bone, right? I would try to get him the ball more this game just because anytime you got a teammate like that, you, you should try to spread the love. And I, I think the word culture gets thrown around way too much in college football. But to me, if you're going to use it, that right there was a culture play. From, from Jay Witt and from Xavier, too. Xavier was the one who was pro- probably had the most right Quinn first and then Xavier to be frustrated, too, of, man, like, I had this guy again. And, you know, you underthrew me. Not that he was thinking that, but he would have been within his right there and be like, hey, I'm guy caught it. I'm on the ground. I'm 60 sure. yards away or whatever. He comes in, and then he's the one that falls on it, too. Yeah. Like, that, to me, was just both those guys on that play. If you want to talk about culture, I think that's that's one play where you can point to it and say – that's culture, and it's coming from older guys, too. One guy who contributes a lot, and then a guy like Jordan who hasn't contributed as much as he wants to, I'm sure. And now younger guys are looking at that going like, wait, so like, who am I to not like run my ass off on special teams? And sure. I, think we have, I think we've seen that from a bunch of guys, too, even before that play of some of the plays they've made on kickoff return and punt return and guys like Trey Wisner, true freshman, you know, who – hasn't gotten a lick of playing time and won't this season on the offensive side of the ball. And Keaton Crawford, um, Maurice Blackwell, when he came back from injury, just I think that stuff, that stuff permeates throughout the team. And, you know, if you don't see it, then it also maybe without knowing it, 
brings the team down too. If you don't have guys that are key guys that are giving max effort. Yeah, absolutely. You hit it. I think, I think it's a culture thing. Um, and, and luckily you can see the culture of this team pop through. I mean, I have a lot of respect for, for coach Sark and, and Chris Del Conte. I, I knew when he came in and then when Sark came in that they were going to bring that high level winning culture with them, but that comes in a lot of forms and I'm glad it came in this one where, you know, effort is appreciated and, and dudes will, will care that much to, to put their bodies on the line. So yeah, I, I love it. Anything else for Tristan, Jeff? Uh, what do you, what do you like watching the games? I think we may have asked you that early on, but are you, are you like a, I got to lock myself in the, in the office and watch it by myself or what? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of funny, you know, this game came right in uh, bath time and, 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 you know, put down time for us. So I, I had to watch the game for work, honey. Uh, my wife, <laughs> the kids staring. So I, I got to really study and, and sit down and watch it, which doesn't happen a lot these days, but no, I am, you know, looking back at it from a fan, I, I just, we went through so many struggles while I was there. Um, and to see this team in a position where every week you hear them being talked about, um, not only going to the SEC next year, but they're in the national conversation every game, um, which is just fun to be. It's a good time to be a fan for, of Texas football right now, regardless of how this season ends. I hope people realize that. Um, and, and hopefully this goes many years down the road, right, in, into the SEC. But um, no, I, I'm just enjoying it right now that, that we're even in this situation. Tristan, last thing, I guess, before we say goodbye, I am going to Vegas tomorrow for a couple of days. How, if at all, do you do Vegas? Um, recently, work stuff. Um, um, we are construction business. Uh, there's a lot of work that happens outside of, of Vegas, uh, lots of big solar farms. So lately, I've only been going for work, which is a lot less fun. Um, in, in the past years, again, before kids, my wife and I would go down there and do all the the fun stuff like we did the wax museum uh um did some hiking and and hadn't gotten to see any shows or anything but um i usually enjoy myself so i don't know if you're going out there for work or just just for play but i, I don't think you can do vegas wrong just, oh and the food just for play yeah i'm not a not much of a gambler so i'm looking for wax museums pinball hall of fames that's a good one i hadn't been but i've heard i've heard it's cool um uh, you know, you could fly down on the, the, the Fremont street and, and do the, the zip line. Uh, I've heard that's fun. Okay. I hadn't heard of that one yet. That's I'm, I'm going to be on Fremont to cash my Texas Rangers world series ticket. So there you go. Maybe we'll have to, uh, do the, uh, the zip line while we're down there. Yeah, there you go. Good deal. All right. Well, uh, Tristan, thank you as always. We'll talk to you next Monday and we'll, uh, it'll be a, Thanksgiving themed Monday conversation. I'll, I'll wear my turkey hat. <laughs> All right. There All right. it goes. See you, Tristan. Tristan Nicholson. Next week is Thanksgiving, correct? I'm not wrong. Yeah. So, so we were, it's funny you bring that up because right before I came on earlier, fiance and I were, the weddings uh, in mid December. So we were going through like basically we're a month out but we were, we realized like, damn, Thanksgiving is, it's the 23rd. It's a week from Thursday. We we're like, it's way, it feels way earlier than normal. Yeah. There's almost an entire another week of November or I think it's four or five days of November the next week. So that made us feel a little better. We we're like, oh, we got, cause we were like Thanksgiving's next week. Like the wedding feels like it's going to be two days from now, you know, or something. <laughs> so that made us feel like we had a little bit more time to get everything in order. 
Yeah, boy. Uh, Thanksgiving. I can't believe we're already to the end of 2023. These years. I know the football season's almost over. (laughs) It's a cliche, but these years feel like they fly. Football seasons feel like they fly. Like we have two weeks left in the, uh, the college football regular season before conference championship games. And it felt like Texas was visiting Alabama just a month ago, but that was, that was more than two months ago now. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Z. But by the way, Trey, you, you mentioned a Texas Rangers world series ticket to cash. I thought Mm -hmm. you said you were a shitty gambler. I am being a shitty gambler sometimes involves making stupid bets that hit. (laughs) And so in the preseason, when BK was there for his former job with ESPN Houston for the first weekend of March madness, he texted and asked if I wanted to put any bets down. And so I placed a hundred dollar bet on a three team parlay for college hoops that I think ended up uh, missing after the very first game. I got the other two games, right? But when you get the first game wrong, it doesn't matter. And then the other hundred dollar bet I placed was on the Texas Rangers to win the world series, which when he placed that bet at the time, the odds were 70 to one. So I will be cashing a $7,000 ticket this time tomorrow at Circa. Dude, they're going to they're gonna need security with you. You're close okay. to having to pay taxes on that shit. I know. I'm very $1, glad. $1,000? I'm very glad that I fell under the $9,000 mark because Jeez. that would really is, is that what it is? I thought it was, uh, I thought it was 10. Yeah, 9999 is what it is. So I'm very glad that I fell technically below $10,000. Um, so I just get to keep that straight seven and I'm going to, be going very quickly to my bank to deposit it because I don't want to be walking around with seven thousand dollars. Seventy to one. Yeah. My gosh. I'm, I I thought I thought about I'm shook. Just, I'm shook here. I thought about making it just a um like just a make the playoffs ticket, and I'm like, ah, fuck it. If I'm gonna go, let's go. And well, I didn't really think anything of it. Rangers are pretty good to start the year, and then they had that roller coaster ride of a final two months, and so. I remember that the, uh, the the bet had been placed. They made the playoffs, and they start winning playoff games on the road, and then they get all the way to the ALCS, and then BK gave the reminder to me and the people that, that I had that showed me the ticket, uh, that he still had it, thank goodness. But he refused to give it to me until the Rangers World Series run was over. He said, I'm either throwing this ticket in the garbage or I'm going to be giving it to you after the Rangers win the World Series. Did so, he... Uh, did did you even think about hedging? I like, did you think about, about just it. putting like thousand dollars on on um, the D backs or something just so to guarantee some sort of profit? I had um, th- there were a couple of people who brought hedging up to me. I was completely unfamiliar with the the concept of hedging. You can you can actually cast the ticket in with Circa if you want to, and they'll give you a certain amount. Oh, like a like a early like an early cash out, basically. Early cash out, like they'll give you half the amount or whatever it is. Oh. And I thought about that, but I'm like, no, we're just gonna let this ride. I I didn't back down when I initially placed the bet, and so I'm just gonna continue letting it ride. And I had a good feeling about the Rangers matchup with the D-backs too. I actually called Rangers in five. So uh, even after Arizona split the first two games, I felt like Texas could still get it done, and so. By total happenstance, we had a trip to Vegas planned in the middle of November. And so 
I get to cash this $7,000 ticket. And I obviously would have bought a, a plane ticket there and back if I needed to, to cash this ticket out. But uh, yeah, I get to, to go to Vegas anyhow on American airline voucher. We've got a place to stay at Paris. And uh, yeah, the, the trip will be a little bit less stressful with regards to losing money that I didn't necessarily want to lose. Cause I'm probably going to put, I don't know, 500, a thousand aside for the trip itself and then pocket the rest of it. I'm, I'm beyond impressed that one, you had that ticket and that two, you had the gigantic stones to not even hedge it like a hundred dollars. Like I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a wuss compared to you on that. If I had that ticket, I would have pulled a thousand out of the bank and hedged it on the D backs. Cause I just, cause I just would have known that I would have been sick to my stomach knowing that I could have had at least nine, $900 or whatever it would have been after juice or whatever the, uh, well, actually, it probably would have been more than that because it would have been plus money on the D-backs yeah. to win that. You know? Yeah, it, w- it would have been plus money for sure. Yeah, like I said, I thought about it, but ultimately, I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just gonna let this bet ride. Right now, it's just costing me a hundred bucks. I, you know, you start to get hundreds more involved or a thousand dollars involved, it gets too complicated. I just wanted to keep it as simple as pro- possible. The the best the best I've had I I do uh, told you I do a lot of PGA Tour betting, mm-hmm. and I've had a pretty stellar year like because in pga tour betting it's a lot of you'll you could bet like matchups on guys like x guy to beat y guy for the round x guy to beat y guy for the tournament like there's a million different things you can bet on a certain guy to finish top 20 top 40 to mm-hmm. win so winning an outright is like even the best guys that do it might win like two or three a year like i i didn't hit a single one last year not a single one i've hit four this year and I finally was like, yeah, but I'm not doing like, so I hit 70 to one two weeks ago. Eric Van Royen won the, um, my blanket on the the name of the tournament. Um, he won and I had that ticket and, but I only bet like $5 on it. You know, mm. I was like, all right, that was still good. So I, I cashed out a couple, cashed out a couple hundred bucks, but it's one of those where it's so rare to hit that you're yeah. like, I can't be putting 50 bucks on this every time. But then when you do hit and then you do it a couple of times, you're like, I should have put more on this. Like, Yeah. Well, see, this is where me being ignorant to gambling paid off because it was stupid to put $100 on a 70 to 1 bet. That's pretty much like lighting the $100 bill on fire. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but I've also thought in the last week, man, why didn't I just put $1,000 on it? I could have just burned that 1000 and I would be <laughs> $70,000 richer right now if I'd actually had the guts. But people who put $1,000 on a 70 to 1 odds... They don't get that thousand dollars back. That never hits, never. I mean, or very rarely hits. And so well, I just got lucky. And so I'm counting my blessings right now. And I guess uh, my ignorance to hedging is also working in my favor because I'm not having to pay money anywhere else too. But also, as somebody who's just a very like, I like it. I get into it. I probably spend more time than I care to admit, like looking at stuff. And I just have fun with it. It's it's. I, I almost look at it as like a hobby. And if I lose. A little bit of money, then I lose a little bit of money. And if I make some, then that's cool. But I'm not betting a significant amount at all. Like I'm pretty good about don't bet what you don't want to lose or whatever the phrase is on that. But with the way sports gambling has been covered so much more in the media lately, some of the stories kind of drive me crazy. Like the story floating around right now after yesterday is the guy in Florida that had a four leg parlay and he won like the Texans 
game winner. He must have had money line or something. Millions or something. Yeah, it won him like it won him like five million dollars. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I click on it. The dude put five hundred thousand dollars down on a four leg parlay. Like that shouldn't be news. Like someone that has five hundred thousand dollars to bet on a four leg parlay does not need five million dollars. No. I mean, I don't know this person, but if you're yeah, Jake said, yeah, he bet half a million. Like that's that's ridiculous. If you're betting half a million on a run of the mill Sunday afternoon parlay, like I don't want to say you don't need five million dollars, like everyone could use five million dollars, but you're fine on money. You know. So I don't know. The way the way it's kind of been covered and because it's so new and it's gone from taboo to mainstream and the snap of a finger, it's just funny to see how how it's perceived and how it's almost like covered in the news now. Yeah, it's very interesting because the libertarian in me wanted to see gambling legalized and still wants to see it legalized everywhere because it's still going to be happening regardless. And this way you can maybe put more more controls on it and there can be some um there can just be a system in place that uh, I think is more viable for the long term. But the downside to that is that it becomes normalized and you have more people exposed to it who participate, who may have a propensity to have a gambling addiction that may not have gotten involved otherwise. And so it is. it can be a little bit of a slippery slope. And the other thing that, that makes me, that rubs me the wrong way about it is that I feel like the suspensions that we've seen in sports, specifically college football and the NFL, are all coming at very synchronistic times. Like that news tends to drop in the offseason where there's not a whole lot going on. So it keeps the sport in the news cycle. But it also tends to happen around times where there are votes being taken in those respective states with regards to allowing gambling to be legalized in a jurisdiction. And so it's like, is this legit? Do these sports leagues really care considering how much they're making on gambling being legalized? Or is this them uh, sort of virtue punish, punishing and showing others that they know the right way to handle this and they know the, the difference between right and wrong as it pertains to gambling and allowing its players to gamble just on the sport in general, not talking about uh, those individual games necessarily and really helping to push the overall cause along more in the process. If that yeah. Makes and I like more specifically to what you were saying about, you know, somebody it might be exposed to it that otherwise wouldn't be. And they have a propensity for, you know, turning into a gambling addict. Well, that person, like, it's not everyone's job to, you know, like have them like to save everybody from themselves in a way. Like we let people, we let people drink. Like, and maybe it's not apples, maybe it's not totally apples to apples, but I don't know. Like, I kind of look at it like I want to put a couple bucks on a game or whatever is a couple bucks, whatever is a unit to me might be different than a unit to somebody else, that dude that's betting 500,000. But I'm going to do that and I'm going to, it's going to make Monday night football that much more exciting. Just right. like if you're sitting at home with friends on a Friday night or you're out at the bar, having a couple beers is going to make it that much more exciting. Now, there's personal responsibility involved in that. It's going out with your friends and and not letting a $10 bet that you lose or a $25, $50 bet, one unit bet that you lose turn into now gambling away your mortgage payment for the month. Like, I don't know, at a certain point, there's levels of, there's levels of 
personal responsibility, like that people have to assume themselves. And it's the right. same thing with drinking. Like we have people like I think drinking is a way bigger problem than than gambling. Yeah, I agree with that. Another good example in this conversation has to do with food and diets and how people choose to eat where it's like, well, you're the one that's making the decision to eat like complete crap. But we've also created a system that glamorizes some of those really shitty foods. Or where it's shoved in your face, kind of. And are shoved in your face, no pun intended there, and that these companies are spending billions of dollars to figure out how to hack into your dopamine reward system. And so there's a reason why things are packaged the way that they are, why they have a certain crunch to them when you actually open that bag and eat the first couple of Fritos or Cheetos or, you know, whatever that snack food is, right? And so for legalized gambling right now, where do you see gambling, where do you see it advertised or talked about where it's not being glamorized in modern times? Like maybe if you tune into OAN, which very few people outside of uh, Mike Gundy and his clan are going to do, like everywhere else is, you know, is is playing up the the coolness of gambling and the coolness of being able to just place a bet on your phone or set your fantasy team on your phone. And, you know, playing daily fantasy can net you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars if you play the game right. No, that, that, that is a great point, Trey, that, that I'm I'm with you on it. The way it's, the way it's shoved in your face of like, I don't need like in the broadcast specifically, like we can, they can advertise just like, uh, you know, Modelo can advertise or whoever can advertise their beer and if you want to have two of them like i'm gonna have i'm gonna have two modelos tonight trey and i'm gonna be responsible and of, of course occasionally i might is that going to turn into me having the whole six pack and not feeling good the next day maybe but 19 times out of 20 i'm gonna have two and it's gonna it's gonna make me tired i had a long day i'm chasing a five-year-old around and we're planning a wedding and then i'm just gonna go to sleep like most of the time that's what's gonna happen but they can advertise what I guess frustrates me is how it's totally, it takes a next level when you're watching a game, you're watching an NBA game on TNT and people love Charles Barkley. People love Kenny the Jet. I don't need Charles Barkley's same game parlay on FanDuel. Like those kind of things, I, I can I can meet people halfway on that have an issue with it and say, okay, we can clean it up a little bit in that sense and not just not just shove it down people's throats. It's why like, I talked to my friends about it and I joked earlier about like, I'm going to brag about the eight. No, but I didn't want to go overboard on it. Cause like at the end of the day, it's kind of like people's fantasy teams. Like most people don't really care. Yeah. No one cares that I went eight. No, it's something fun that I do. And I had a good week and I'm going to brag to people about it and then, and then move on. But you know, people that some people kind of idolize, you know, in the media and in sports, which is, which is actually ironic because Charles Barkley was the one that said, I'm not, you know, back in the day, I'm, I'm, you know, parents are supposed to be idols, not me. He had some sort of quote like that, but yeah, yeah, people look up to these guys and they're like, Oh, they think they're cool, you know, and he's doing the same game parlay, you know? So I can, I can see it in that sense too, where there is personal responsibility, but it doesn't need to be overly glamorized and shoved down your throat. By the way, I point out the glamorization by being a bigger believer and the need to show personal responsibility. But a lot of that comes with having, back to Charles Barkley, I guess, having the proper role models in place to help teach you the difference between right and wrong in different situations. And when when do, when you're just enjoying something and 
Uh, maybe it's not a, it could be kind of considered a vice, but you know, you're, you're, I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly I'm trying to say. Like there, there's just a, there's a line that you don't want to cross, I guess. Somebody teaching you that. And honestly, having the responsibility and the discipline to put your own barriers in place. Well, and just understanding the, uh, the risk versus reward and with something like gambling, maybe less so with sports gambling, but like talking about Vegas, Vegas was built on the house, always having the overall competitive edge. The house is not going, they, they may lose on a given day. The house is going to win like cumulatively over the course of a week or a month or, or an entire year. Otherwise Vegas would cease to exist. The game is rigged against you. And sports, as much as we think we know about sports and as much as you prove you know about sports and our uh, our Joe's uh, Joe's Pick'em League that uh, Bob Baloo organizes each and every year. But Trey, there's always an 0 and 8 for me waiting around the corner or a 2 and 6 or a 1 and 7. You know, that's always waiting around the corner. And that's what people have to realize. And exactly. And so there are there are risks that you're taking and there are certain things where you may see a temporary reward. But overall, if you were to do the math, you would realize that it adds up with you being in the red when it's all said and done. And Even so on your we, average sports bet, there your average sports bet is going to be minus one ten. You bet a right? dollar, you win ninety cents. You bet ten dollars, you win nine dollars. Even when you win, they're essentially taking a dollar from you if you huh. bet ten bucks. Interesting. See, I hadn't thought about that because I don't you know, know. Like, I'm there's not, and it's called that's what's called juice. There's always juice on it. You know. By the way. You mentioned this is the start of the show. Yeah. Seth. Hey, Jeff. Well, I had a meeting and started the show late, but I'm here now. I'm the one who met you on the sideline last game. Keep up the great show. Thank you so much for uh, yeah. popping him, Seth. We appreciate you, Seth. We appreciate everybody commenting and, and watching and supporting uh, Texas Sports Unfiltered. Like I told, I was telling Seth on the sideline, I was like, I love, like, I, I was honored when, when BK asked me to do this even just once a week, because I think it's a great idea. I love the platform. I love it's a, I think it's a forward thinking idea of the way that our industry is moving towards. Um, and I know Trey, you and I talked about that multiple times on, on this show too, when I first started. So yeah, I yeah, appreciate people like Seth and, and everybody that whether, whether you're commenting or not, you know, that watches and supports. Are you enjoying watching Raiders games a little bit more with Antonio Pierce in charge and not Josh McDaniels? Because I realized last night's game may have set football back by a little bit, Jets and Raiders, but y'all want another game. Yeah. More of these types of games before McDaniels was fired two games ago. Yeah. And it's always, you know, I don't say, I don't want to say always, but more often than not, when you fire a coach, there's a little bit of that interim, interim coach rally behind him all the the weight of whatever was going on and the drama is now off your shoulders and you just go play so i think we're still seeing a little bit of that that was that was not a pretty game um granted i didn't think it was gonna be i i thought that i actually if i didn't touch that game from a gambling standpoint to circle back to our last conversation but i just thought either way if you say who's gonna pick this game straight up I would have said the Jets just because the Raiders coming off that emotional win where freaking acted like they won the Super Bowl, smoking cigars and giving out 800 game balls, excuse me, in the locker room. My voice cracks. Um, I, I thought they were going to come back down to earth. 
which they did a little bit, but man, I mean, they found a way to win that game. And I just thought rookie quarterback Aiden O'Connell against the Jets defense like that, uh, which did play out in a way. But what Trey, what I didn't factor in is Zach Wilson just really is not good at, he's just, he's not good at playing the game of American football at the highest level. <laughs> he's just not, he's just not good. I'm sure he's a nice guy and maybe he can be a serviceable backup quarterback during his career. He's not a good quarterback in the NFL. Like I just, I don't know what else they need to see. And um, I know you asked me about the Raiders, but I, I think it, Robert Sala in that spot and I'm not the first person to say this, you're running the risk of losing the locker room at some point, man. When you go see, when you see Josh Dobbs go to Minnesota, mm. the second Kirk Cousins goes down, they go out and make an aggressive move to go get a pros pro backup quarterback. And they're two and freaking O. Like if I'm a jet, I'm looking at that going, I don't know. Ours came up even earlier in the season, you know, before Dobbs kind of even more showed what he could do. But, God, that, that almost drove me crazy for Jet fans just watching that. Josh Dobbs has become one of the best stories of this NFL season. It is incredible to watch him make Arizona competitive first off and now to go to Minnesota and to start 2-0 there and for him to play. saw somebody uh, say Josh Dobbs has somehow transformed into Michael Vick this season. Like, yeah, his playmaking ability, he does it with his arm. He does it with his legs. And uh, the Vikings, while the competition hasn't been great, it, he has them in a uh, decent position to make the playoffs before it's all said and done. I know that Justin Jefferson last week said that he was going to wait until his hamstring is 100% to come back. I, I don't fault him for that at all because this still kind of does feel like a lost season for Minnesota. It's less lost now versus whoever the hell you thought you were going to be starting at quarterback when Kirk Cousins went down because Joshua Dobbs provide some juice that uh, not even Kirk cousin could give you over these last few years. And I think the fun part about the Dobbs story too, is he's got a great personality. Like he's yeah. leaning into it. I've seen some, some funny stuff with him on social media, just very, very like kind of affable down to earth personality of, you know, realizing the moment. And um, I mean, he, I, I watched, I don't know, I think I was on sports center. I think last night when I got back from work and they showed a couple post-game sound bites from him and he was goofing around about like, yeah, I just checked out of the hotel and crazy. We're two and Oh, like it feels like I just got here. Wait, I did just get here. And you know, he's like, I'm just enjoying every minute of it. And then, like I said, some of the fun stuff he's done with fans on social media, like that's the stuff that, that people like it's, it's relatable to be counted out a bunch of times. And then it's fun to root for a guy who is counted out a bunch of times and keeps overcoming the odds and, and we just, it's human nature to like those kind of stories. Oh, yeah. Especially when you have a good down-to-earth personality. Like, I think if he was a total jabroni about it and thought that he was Tom Brady, then we'd be like, okay, well, settle down. But, you know, a guy who has the self-awareness to kind of understand the situation that he's in and embrace it is fun. It's fun to watch. Yeah, like Aaron Rodgers is the polar opposite of Josh Dobbs, right? He's a very polarizing dude. A lot of it he brings on himself. He was on the Jets' sideline for last night's game, and I guess he gave an interview before the game or at halftime suggesting that he could be back by mid-December from an Achilles injury that he suffered at the start of September. That is unheard of. How much do you buy that being a possibility versus Aaron Rodgers trying to keep himself in the news cycle 
because he knows he's fallen far behind Travis Kelsey in that regard over the last month. That? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, if he comes back, great, but he knows there's a camp, like all this stuff at midfield every game and then the pregame, he knows that there's a camera on him at all times. Like we're not, the rest of us are not, we're not stupid, you know? So, Hey, that's, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to be in the headlines for. And uh, he likes attention and good for him. He knows how to get it. And look, uh, I'm not in the national media. I'm just in the local media, but I hate when people do this of when they're kind of a part of the media in some sense. And then they go, Oh, the media, you know, like, look, that's what we in the media do. Like we, if I was in New York and working in local news, I'd be running those stories and those, those headlines left and right. So he knows what he's doing and the media is to blame for part of it. Yes, they are. Yes, they um, are. And that's, that's the world we live in, Trey. People, you know, if he wants clicks and look, we know the media wants clicks and he knows that if he says something and he says he's going to come back, then kind of the, uh, you know, as much as he dislikes the media, it's almost ironic how the two sort of go together there. Because he knows when he says something, it's going to it's gonna blow up. I hate to ask your Iowa State prediction because we're still five days away from that game, but this is the last time we'll get a chance to talk before Saturday's game. Are you traveling to – you're not traveling to the game, correct? Yeah, this is the one game we're not going to go to. Uh, good choice. What's your prediction? Texas-Iowa State, 7 o'clock on Saturday night. So this was before Quinn. We knew Quinn was coming back. But last week I was texting with a buddy uh, whose football acumen I, I I trust. And we both were joking that it feels like it's just going to be like a disgusting 17 to 13 type game. Like I think Texas is going to win. I don't know if I'm going to say 17, 13. I'll say, I'll say 24 to 13. I'll say that. So very similar score prediction. I think Texas scores a little bit more than that. Um, I, we were talking about the weather earlier. I looked and it doesn't look like the wind, like it's going to be cold, but it doesn't look like at least right now that the wind is going to be like a huge factor oh, That's good. in it. I mean, but again, it's six days out, five days out right now, whatever, whatever we are, These but I look on the jokers can't get the afternoon right half the time. Yeah. I looked on the seven day and it looked like you were looking at five to 10 mile an hour wind, which is not really going to affect the passing game mm. or really, or the kicking game a whole lot, you know, unless okay. you're, uh, kicking a deep field goal or something like that. So yeah, I would say early in the week without like digging in a ton beyond what I've just seen of Iowa state this year, they have a good defense. Their offense looks like it's, it's, they've been picking it up, but I sort of feel like they've, after the slow start to the season, they've kind of won the games they were supposed to, and then maybe lost the games. They weren't like everyone's beating up on BYU right now. They lost to Kansas and I hate the transitive property, but we know what Texas did to Kansas. So I'm not super concerned in that way, but yeah, the, uh, the, the Ames magic is, or voodoo, I would almost call it is a little scary in a night game. Yeah. We're going to bring Zay in as uh, we continue this conversation. Now, one thing that works at Texas advantage here, Jeff, is that Iowa state in whatever way they're good on offense and they're really not very good on offense. However you, uh, you look at it, but they're, they're best at running the football. They're really bad throwing the football. And I think for a team to, come out and do what they need to against this Texas defense to win a game like this. They're going to have to be decent at throwing the football, and Iowa State is just not that right now. But I do have this game being a lower-scoring affair like you do right now. You said 24-13. I, I have it at, I told BK earlier, 24-10. to 10. Like I can see Texas winning by a couple of touchdowns, scoring three touchdowns in the game, but 
it's going to be a major adjustment that has to be made without Jonathan Brooks going forward, right, Zay? Yeah, 100%. It's unfortunate for the Hallettsville alum, you know. I mean, the dude just lost his pops. He got benched. I call that as a benching because first game of the season, P.J. Baxter was the starter. So for him to have the season that he did, for it to end like this, you got to feel for 24. And, yeah, I'm with you, Trey. I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period for this team come Saturday in Ames. And Iowa State, they're playing some good football right now. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that they lost to Ohio earlier in the year, 10-7. to Like, not Ohio State. Not Miami, Ohio, where Ben Roethlisberger was out there slinging that thing. No, the Bobcats. Oh, say, say, Ohio. Come on, soon to be MAC champion, the Bobs. Come on, still, still, you shouldn't be losing. Are they really though? Oh, they're they're really good. Okay, so they're pretty damn good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, but but no, but but totally, they they should not beat Iowa State ten to seven in Ames. Like that shouldn't happen. No. And Trey, I know you and I have discussed this. It seems like Matt Campbell's got some anger management classes taken care of since he was about to go ballistic on the fan that had something to say about them losing to the Bobcats. But yeah, uh, the tides have turned up there in Ames. So with this Texas team and just how easily they give up these leads, I mean, U of H, okay, then Kansas State, you're like, yeah, but TCU, Come on, man. Like, three games where you give up 20-point leads, that's a little bit concerning. But they're 9-1. and one. It's hard to bitch about a team that's 9-1. and one. You haven't really seen this from a Texas ball club in a very long while. So, come on. Who am I to be the Debbie Downer in this piece? I'm going to try to be as positive as I can, even though the Horns, they got some question marks, and they're going to be without Jonathan Brooks for the rest of the year. But... We'll see what happens. A lot could go down from now to when the committee actually selects the four teams to make the college football playoff. Perhaps the best question right now, guys, assuming that Texas does take care of business these last couple of games and make it to the Big 12 championship, is who the heck are they going to play at Jerry World that first weekend of December? Because nobody else seems to want to uh, find their way to Arlington here in a few weeks now, after Oklahoma State gets completely embarrassed by a really bad UCF team on Saturday. It feels like Texas is is going to win out. Like, I mean, obviously they could get tripped up in one of these last two games. I worry more about the game this Saturday, but feels like they've kind of got, they have pole position right now and they've sort of got it locked up. But yeah, those, those I think, four teams at five and two, it just feels like it's going to come down to some insane tiebreaker where like, Oklahoma State will have head-to-head over OU, but then, like, they will have not played somebody else that's also, um, I guess, what, at that point, it would be 7-2 and two or what, whatever the records end up being, whether it's 6-3, and 7-2. and two. It just feels like there's going to be um, just an absolutely in, insane tiebreaker that, that settles it. But I wanted to say to Zay's point earlier about, uh, and Trey, you and I have talked about this a bunch, especially last week, too. Like, just enjoy that they're nine and one. And it's okay to, it is okay to do both things. It's okay to be like, Texas is nine and one and nationally relevant for the first time in a long time. And guess what? That's freaking awesome. And then also take a quick pause and be like, but there's a lot of shit this team needs to clean up. Like, it's okay to do both those things. Cause I feel like anytime I'm like, say anything negative, there's somebody that's like, well, they're nine and one. I mean, I mean, they're, they're nine and one and they're nationally relevant. You know, and then, 
on the other side of it, if you say that, then there's somebody that's like, I mean, but this team's not winning a national chip. This is not a playoff team. No one said they were. Hmm. Like, yeah. just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride a little bit. But I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's that's just too much to ask for Texas fans to just kind of like be at peace for a minute. Yeah. Really, Jeff? Texas fans asking too much? That's crazy. I didn't know this fan base got down like that, man. I know, Zay. I've, I've been around here way too long to be, <laughs> to be spewing rational bullshit like that. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I'm right there with you. I'm just thankful that this team is in a position to play or hopefully play for a Big 12 championship. And it's interesting. None of the teams that the four teams that are tied for fourth play each other this weekend coming up. Like, they all have separate games. If you look at Oklahoma, they got BYU. Oklahoma State has U of H. You know, you got Kansas playing Kansas State. And then, obviously, the Cyclones play the Horns. So, you know, I expect the Horns to win, but you never know when it comes to Ames. I mean, last time they went up there, we had the Bo Davis experience. And I think we're going to see a calmer Bo, thank goodness. But... You know, it's just weird shit happens at this place. And I don't know if Beck could go out there and look like a Brock Purdy or what. But, again, they're playing with a lot of confidence there. And it's going to be interesting with no Jonathan Brooks to see what this Longhorn team is made of moving forward. Because I like Cedric Baxter, but he doesn't make guys miss like JB, man. Like Jonathan Brooks, that what that fake uh screen pass to the right that they threw to Jay Brooks for 70 yards before he took it in for that goal line score like not too many guys are doing that around the nation and I'm not saying CJ Baxter isn't capable in the future of doing stuff like that but right now he's just you know he's still a freshman as good as he is the five-star coming from Florida he's still a freshman and I think it shows from week to week but yeah it's going to be interesting how they utilize uh, Jalen Blue or Keelan Robinson, who I don't think played uh, in TCU. Yeah, he didn't play. I didn't see him out there. You saw DeAndre Moore getting those kick returns and being part of the special teams where you see K-Rob usually. So hmm. if he's injured, I don't like that very much. I mean, Savion Red, we know he runs hard, but we've only seen him in the Red Cat really this season. So... We'll see. But there's my guy. Is that a fresh cut oh, on you, Chip? Yeah, man. Fresh cut out here. I see you. GQ. Come on, oh. man. Oh, man. I mean, just for my man Zay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Chip got the lettuce looking right. The specs on. Yeah, man. man. What is going on, fellas? <laughs> Not a lot. Y'all have a great show. Hey. Appreciate it, fellas. Appreciate your laser lights. Good See job. Ooh, Parker, yeah. good job, man. Thank you. Thank you, Chip. I do need to do some laser lights. There you go. <laughs> yeah, playoff. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>